Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hyundai 2023 SUV sale event is on now. Offers available. Visit your local Hyundai showroom today. Host Plus Pension Account gives you more control over your retirement. That's a plus. Issued by Host Plus Proprietary Limited. Check the pension PDS and TMD at hostplus.com.au. Mornings on SEN. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Julian DeStoop with you on what is a pretty miserable Melbourne morning, but wherever you're joining us, welcome to the show. It's a big one coming up on our McCafe menu today. McCafe, our official coffee partner, Crash Craddock, will join me out of 10. Plenty to chat about in the world of cricket, the world of golf, and also the world of rugby, uh, given the fact that uh, one of the worst kept secrets in sport, Eddie Jones, is off to coach Japan. Dean Vickerman will join me. Uh, Great bounce back from Melbourne United yesterday. Now they're building up to the throwdown against the Phoenix, who had a great win over the Sydney Kings yesterday as well. Gareth Hall, great night uh, for James McDonald uh, over in Hong Kong on Romantic Warrior. So we'll talk all the racing out of the weekend, Hong Kong, Perth as well. And Courtney Walsh, not the West Indian fast bowler, the Fox Sports cricket and tennis writer uh, will join me out of 11, mainly to talk about Nick Kyrgios as we build up uh, to the Australian Open as well. But just last week, it was thought the Big Bash could be the star of this summer. Four games in, or should I say just over two games in, in the words of our great friend Andy Marr, there are spot fires everywhere. A blowout on night one, a washout on night three, and on night four, history was made for all the wrong reasons. That's hit the wet patch and seemed back and stood up and did everything. And English was just like, oh, what do you do? Like, how do you play that? Oh, oh my God. And that does really bounce and balloon in a way. There's not much the batsman can do about that. Start taking issue with it. That's where it becomes a bit concerning. Oh, that's... I'm going to say it. I think that's a bit ridiculous, yeah. to be honest. We, we started this game hoping that... The wicket was going to play better than we thought and better than it looked. But that one there is, I mean, that is, if that's straight, I don't know, everyone's saying, oh, look, it doesn't look dangerous. If this is straight, where is this going to go? Straight up under your grill. They're going to have discussions, so they're just pulling it apart for a second. But I can't imagine if you're coming off now that you're coming back on. <laughs> so, it's, um, what do you think? Is it safe? Uh, probably not, no. Um, if that's straight and it hits him in the grill yeah. on the forearm, it's a different story, isn't it? The umpires are coming together now because... Dangerous. Aaron Hardy's gone from the non-striker's end, said to the umpire, well, the ball's just standing up now. It's, it's doing all sorts of stuff. The two umpires are coming together. This was our concern at the was. start, wasn't it? Yep. This wet patch on the, on the wicket. 
Josh Inglis, he just said it felt it felt dangerous when he was batting. So for the first time in 555 Big Bash games, it's been abandoned due to the state of the pitch. I think the right decision's been made that they're not playing out there. Um, as much as it's disappointing, I, I do back the decision they've made. That, that should not happen tonight. That shouldn't be the case that a game gets abandoned because of water getting onto a pitch. So you think more should have been done? We should be oh, more absolutely. professional? You know, I just think that, you know, that if you get rain that's unexpected, I completely understand that. But I'm pretty sure yesterday it was always going to rain all day. So why not get more covered in to make sure what happens tonight doesn't happen? So that's how it was covered on Big Bash Nation Channel 7 and Fox Cricket last night. So you throw in an injury to the competition's biggest star, Glenn Maxwell, and load management ruling out test stars Nathan Lyon and Scott Boland. The clean air the competition should have enjoyed before the first test on Thursday in Perth has been full of smog. In a rare highlight, Steve Smith lit up the SCG on Friday night. Unfortunately... He won't be seen in the pink of the Sixers again this season. So give us a call, one 736 736 Send us through your 40-wings temper, 433 Temper, a mattress like no other. If you were in Geelong last night, uh, your thoughts, should have the game started at all? I mean, thank goodness, as uh, mentioned by Aaron Finch, I think it was on the telecast last night, if that, if that ball was straight from Will Sutherland to Josh Inglis. Who knows what, what, what would have happened? Should it have started? And then what should happen from here? Now, there's an investigation from Cricket Australia. The Scorchers are here. They're preparing to play the Stars at the MCG, weather permitting, it must be, say, must be said, on Wednesday. One point each. Should they try and play the game again? It's going to be tough for the You know, the Renegades lose Quinton de Kock, who was here for six overs. He heads back to South Africa. The good thing is he's going to play about eight games uh, in the tournament. And what about, I know it's... A, it's so difficult to schedule these tournaments. But, again, we're not going to see much of the Test Stars this year. Is is What's the best window for the Big Bash to be played? Do we get all the tests over, finish with the Sydney New Year's Test, and just have four weeks of Big Bash? Yes, it wouldn't finish in the school holidays, but surely the eyeballs you would get and the numbers in the ground, because the, the biggest stars are playing, uh, would certainly... Uh, maybe offset uh, the fact that it's not finishing school holidays. So give us your thoughts, one 736 736 Now, it was a better weekend for some of the golden oldies of sports. So this morning, Bronny James, the son of LeBron James, has made his college debut. But at 39, LeBron is still setting the standard. He led the Lakers to glory in the NBA's in-season tournament. Australians Cam Percy, Steve Allen, David Branson and Michael Wright snared four of the five spots available for the Champions Tour in the USA. And for the second time this season, 36-year-old Melbourne victory striker Bruno Fornaroli scored four goals in a game. Towards Fornaroli, Marcelo's header only finds Mashash again. Fornaroli turns it in. The flag has stayed down. The first half, Fornaroli's clever little touch, wonderful touch for Mashash. And now through the legs for Fornaroli. Balloon plays at the back post. Fornaroli's done wonderfully well. What a finish! Into the top corner. And Bruno Fornaroli just cannot stop scoring. Fornaroli against Thomas. And he blasts the ball. And Melbourne victory are knocking the Wanderers off their perch. 3 0. To be done there. Arzani delivers. It's a good ball in. And just the second time in his A-League career, he has scored four goals in a 
match. And what a way to bring up number 100. What a game that was. The victory for Western Sydney Wanderers. Three, 11 goals in seven matches now for Bruno Fornaroli. We spoke about it with Daniel Garb last week. Surely, if this continues, he will be on the plane uh, for the Asian Cup for the soccer. Is it just a, a little bit of footy? A couple of things to throw around. Uh, as soon as this came out yesterday, there was a call for Kane Corns' thoughts, and he has responded saying, love the player, hate the deal. And he did discuss this last month on Sports Day. The fact that Connor Rosie is set to sign a giant contract at Port Adelaide. He's set to be the new captain as early as next year. Uh, Cal Toomey wrote this last night. He's going to be extended out till 2032, making it the equal longest deal in the AFL alongside the Western Bulldogs. Aaron Norton, uh, Port Adelaide fans, your thoughts on that one? And uh, the Bombers held a bit of a members forum on Saturday. That, so the club trained and then they took some questions from their members. Brad Scott had this to say. Less talk, more action, and I think in the long run that'll make our members much happier. So it got me thinking, and now not we as a media, we want people to speak. We don't want them to go into their shells. But going into 2024, which athletes, which sports people, which sporting clubs, which sporting organisations maybe just need to let their actions do the talking more than their words. Give us a call, one 736 736 Send us through your 40 Winks temper, 433 Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. Getting plenty through on the 40 Winks temper about uh, the cricket last night. Now, I probably don't know enough about my cricket to answer this question, but if someone can, uh, Peter says... Uh, we're both ends of the wicket wet. Why not just bowl from the same end and keep the game going? Not possible. Johnny, John, you're not allowed to. There you go. Johnny Donahue at the back says, you know, oh, well, don't worry. We'll bring the great cricket rules into international cricket. Okay. So that, that, that answers that question. Um, the GM, yeah, this is from Michael. The GM HBA game should have never started. Just so happens the ticket refund policy states that if six overs are bowled, there are nil refunds uh, payable. Uh, but the, the, they have said that the, the funds will be um, refunded uh, to those that turned up last night. Um, my nine-year-old is devastated and said to me, not sure if cricket is for him, says Michael. Uh, Simon says, my son was in tears last night on the way home after the debacle in Geelong last night. As Mike Hussey said, they should have bowled from one end. As we just said, that that actually uh, can't be done. So keep sending through your thoughts. I'd love to take your calls, one three hundred. 736, 736, just a few other things uh, to throw around today. Uh, I need a little bit of uh, education. Baseball is not my strength. Uh, this massive deal signed on the weekend, uh, 10 years, $1.06 billion Australian dollars. So it works out to $432,385 per game. To Shohei Atani, 29-year-old Japanese superstar who pitches and hits the ball pretty decently as well, which is pretty unusual in the Major League Baseball. Is he worth it? For those that know baseball, uh, let us know because uh, I don't know much about him. It seems like an astronomical deal. We had the John Rahm deal on Friday, and then this one came uh, through on the weekend. So if you can educate me on how good this guy is, uh, please let me know. Uh, Greg's got one on the uh, 40 Winks temper. Above all, the English cr- cricket team need to shut up and perform. You know, that sort of went under the radar on the weekend. Lost a series to the West Indies. 
What's going on there? Uh, let's get our first breakaway. Love to take your calls. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 40 Wings Temper, 0433 Temper, a mattress like no other. You're listening to Mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and also Host Plus. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. A heap of topics to get through uh, in the first hour. The BBL last night, Connor Rosie's set to sign a big deal at Port Adelaide. Who needs to put up or shut up in 2024 in sport? Uh, Glenn from Diamond Creek is going to kick us off uh, talking about the BBL match that was called off last night between the Gades and the Scorchers. G'day, Glenn. Yeah, pal. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, mate. I'm all right. That, that last night, you can't underestimate that. That's a disaster. We've got arguably the best cricket grounds in the world. I probably wouldn't put GMHBA in that bracket, but how pitch covering in this country hasn't moved from, or in my lifetime, I'm 30 odd, and I've always seen them basically either pulled out by hand or driven out on the tractor or whatever. Yet in England, you see these hover things, you see all sorts of innovations. Like, why can't we go anywhere with this? That should not be happening in Australia. We have way too good of facilities for that to take place. It's a good point, Glenn. I don't know enough about it, but it does seem a little bit archaic, the system we've got. I mean, we had the situation in Canberra on the weekend, which was probably a little bit more understandable. It was just a freak storm overnight that uh, I guess no one could probably predict. So you sort of understand that one a little bit. But uh, as uh, Michael Vaughan said, that, that shouldn't have happened last night. And even the fixturing of the game in Geelong... Should it have been later in the summer? I mean, the AFLW team was still playing there a few weeks ago. Did they have enough time to prepare that surface properly anyway? So I think that's some other questions uh, that needed to be asked. But, yeah, it does seem the English are a little bit ahead of us on that. Uh, if anyone's a curator or knows more about it, uh, give us a call, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 Thanks for your call, Glenn. Let's get to Tim in Brighton. I think he's got a couple of suggestions who towards uh, sports teams or sports people that might need to uh, just let their actions do the talking in 2024. Hello, Tim. Uh, good morning, Jules. I've got, I've got two for put up or shut up. And mm. the first one's a bit premature, perhaps, and that's on the back of the Matildas losing to Canada and and, and the speculation of uh, Tony Gustafsson probably leaving. So there's going to be a, a real massive spotlight on them. But the second one I've got, which is probably um, more realistic, is Eddie, Eddie Jones. Oh, God. We don't, really, we don't really care now, do we, though? He's coaching Japan. Well, I think, I think there'd be a lot of people now want to see him fail um, when, he, when he goes to, do, to, um, to Japan. I think so. Yeah, he took us all for a ride this year, didn't he, Tim? He did, and, and uh, I, I was listening this morning to the reporter who... Um, yeah, Tommy Decent. Yep. Yeah, he broke the story and he said he just gave up after hearing uh, Eddie Jones say uh, more than 12 times that he was uh, not going. Now, nah, it's well done from Tom Decent. Uh, he was sort of rubbished by Eddie Jones and those around him uh, when he wrote that story initially, but uh, he stuck to his guns. He knew he was right, and it's turned out it'd be right. What, why do you think the Matildas need to uh, put up or shut up, in, in, for the lack of a better term? I, I, I just think that um, there's a few question marks there, and you know they were they were fiddling with their game plan. I know there were a number of players that were out. Uh, I, it was, it's a bit premature, but if Tony Gustafsson leaves, um, then they've sort of got to get a new coach, and there'll be you know the spotlight on them. And I just wonder whether or not they'll be able to 
live up to those expectations that they've set from the World Cup. No, it's an interesting call, Tim. Our expectations are massive now. Every time the Matildas play, we expect them to win. I mean, don't look too much into the friendlies against Canada, particularly the first game when it was very much an experimental lineup. But it's a big year. It's an Olympic year. The expectations will be high for the Matildas at the Olympics. So I think you make a pretty decent point. Thanks for your call, Tim. Let's get over to Adelaide. Uh, I knew this man would be interested in this subject. That is the Connor Rosie contract extension, which appears imminent. And that is uh, Johnny in Port Augusta. G'day, John. Hello, Julian. How are you? Fine, thanks. Had a bit of trouble with my phone. What's that? Trouble my phone. Oh, anyway. that's okay. I can hear you loud and clear if you can hear me. Uh, yeah, I can. Um, yeah, no, I'm trying to raise you from Port Augusta. So I'm oh. right. Yeah, I knew his father. I played a lot of cream against his father. He got 100 against us every time. <laughs> he played a few ex-NFL games, Rob. Rob Rosie Nuggs, Nuggs is his nickname. He played a few SNFL games in the 1980s, early 1980s under Hayden Mutton Jr. And um, he's a very good sports in his own right. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm I'm fairly happy because, as I say, he's from Portiasa. He'd be Portiasa's best ever footballer. By the way, we had a few for the old SNFL in the old days. Yeah. Um, a few, Garrett Rivers. Um, these type of blokes, young, young Tame McCall now and all the rest of it. Mark Bigley from Port Perry, of course. But um, not many in the AFL era, so it's great. I'm I'm right being a Port supporter. So you happy with the yeah. uh, you happy with the length of the tenure, John? Certainly, much. I know where Kane's coming from, and I generally agree with him. I look, I've got I've got rose coloured glasses on because I know the old man. I played cricket in. I'm fighting local football. He's a good bloke. I, I don't know Kane. I don't know Kane. I don't know um, <laughs> young... Um, how am I going? Young, young Connor. Young Connor. Yeah. I don't know young Connor, but I know his father fairly well. He's a really good fellow. So, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, as, a, as a rule, I'm not for these long-term contracts, but I'm making exceptions outside I'm a hypocrite. Fair <laughs> enough. I think you'll get your value back at the end. Uh, Johnny's football, particularly in the last 24 months, has been outstanding. Thanks for your call. So just on that, uh, what do you thought? Is Kane going to die on a hill alone here with his uh, um, being so against these long-term contracts? Uh, they're not changing. They're, they're not going anywhere. They're going to be here for a long time, uh, given the uh, increasing impact of free agency. They're not going anywhere. So are you in the Kane camp or are you more than happy if someone's in your top one, two, three players, a young age like a Connor Rose is right now, a young age like Aaron Norton was when he extended at the Western Bulldogs, are you happy to lock your best player away for, for eight, ten years? Take that risk and lock him away or are you a bit on the Kane Corns uh, side of the fence where you think it is uh, a little bit uh, too much of a risk? Keen to get your thoughts. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Got a heat coming through. On the 40 Winks temp. They've been busy, Port Adelaide. So Willem Drew last week extended for four years. Zach Butters uh, extended for another two years. Connor Rosie is going to extend for another eight. Ollie Lord extended by three years. Uh, or two. Yeah, he had contracted for this year, got two more. So to the end of 2026. So certainly been busy uh, over there, Port Adelaide. Uh, a few more on the... Uh, on the cricket uh, situation, uh, a couple of actually a couple of uh, put up or shut ups for 2024 in the AFL world. Melbourne, I think a lot of Melbourne fans would probably think that after the way this season uh, ended, and also Bailey Smith 
Yeah, big year for Bailey Smith. Out of contract next year. Certainly hasn't hit the heights of uh, 2021 when he starred in a final series. So I'd agree with that. That is a that is a big, big year for Bailey Smith. Uh, put up or shut up. Ben Simmons, play at the Olympics or shut up for good. And Melbourne Football Club, talk is cheap. Win a final like you should have over the last uh, couple of years. Uh, a few more on the cricket. Uh, Mozza says water has gone under the Lord's covers too. That is true. Uh, play the Geelong BBL game over Christmas New Year when everyone is staying on the surf coast. Uh, just on the uh, the cricket as well. Um, with the different time zones around Australia, play the Big Bash in January and play two to three games per day every third day to fit the games in before school holidays. Uh, this Damien's got a bit of a different view to most of us, I think. I actually love it when the test players aren't playing Big Bash because I get to see other people that cricket's far more interesting. That can't be right. You, you can't tell me you don't want to see Steve Smith, Travis Head, Mitch Marsh, these sort of players playing in the Big Bash. David Warner. I mean, I, I understand your point, and we have seen some players make them names themselves in the BBL and then come on to be stars, but you want to see these sort of guys playing in the competition, surely. We want to make it... This elite 2020 competition, you've got to have as many of the good players playing as possible, uh, surely. Another one here from Matt. Last weekend felt like a big miss for cricket. No other sport on. Why wouldn't they have played the first test or at least two double or triple headers on Saturday, Sunday for the Big Bash? Get the season off to a flyer. Poor scheduling for mine. Uh, Jake Stringer, put up or go away. I'm not sure he has to go away, but uh, he needs to get fit. And uh, hopefully that will be the case. Um, and just one here, we're talking about the uh, amazing uh, contract in the baseball for Shohei Atani. Um, just scroll up here. As a huge Dodgers fan, I was happy to see Shohei Atani sign. He is the greatest baseball player possibly ever, but he won't be pitching in 2024 due to elbow surgery. So he will just play as a designated hitter. That means he doesn't have to field at all. The Major League Baseball does not have a salary cap, so teams basically do whatever they want. He didn't have to go far either, from the Angels to the Dodgers. So just down uh, the road. But that is an extraordinary deal. It just shows the money in European uh, football and uh, some of the American sports is off the charts. Uh, After the news, speaking of Ben Simmons, interesting you say that. Our own Kane Pittman who is uh, working over there at ESPN in the States, uh, caught up with Stephen A. Smith, who, as we know, is never short of an opinion. And he had a pretty strong one when it came to our own Ben Simmons. We'll play that after the news with Nathan Gardner. Thank you, Nathan. As you heard there, uh, Tottenham 4, Newcastle 1 in the Premier League overnight. Uh, In the other matches, uh, Everton 2, Chelsea nil. Three wins in a row for Everton and three out of four since they were docked the 10 points. So it's been a good response from then. City fell behind at Luton, uh, but scored twice in three minutes in the second half to win 2-1. And for the second consecutive home match, uh, Fulham 5, West Ham 0. So another really interesting weekend in the Premier League. A lot of talk about Tottenham and Ange Postecoglou, but probably the story of the season so far is Aston Villa. Under Unai Emery, the former Arsenal manager, they knocked off Arsenal 1-0 on the weekend. Last week, they knocked off City 1-0. They're up to third on the table and won 15 matches in a row at uh, Villa Park. So we'll talk some more English Premier League during the week, but uh, they are emerging as a genuine contender. Liverpool got out of jail against Crystal Palace to go uh, up to the top of the table as well. So it's really tight uh, in the Premier League. The NBA on the weekend, the in-season tournament was run and done. Uh, In the end, it was the Lakers, LeBron James, uh, getting the job done there over the Indiana Pacers. But... uh, 
Speaking before the final, uh, Kane Pittman from ESPN, who we spoke to on the program on Friday, caught up with Stephen A. Smith, who spoke about our very own Ben Simmons. So I know we speak about Ben Simmons all the time. You've spoken about Ben Simmons endlessly. It was a month ago I was at the Celtics-Nets game. Jacques Vaughn said, we're not worried about this injury. It's now been a month. We haven't seen him. He's getting more injections. Where are you at with Ben Simmons? And how concerned are you that he's not going to get to where he was? Because preseason, Ben Simmons said that he would. I'm completely disgusted with him. I am completely disgusted with Ben Simmons, and I think we all should be. I don't care at this point that he's injured. And the reason why is because too much time went by when you were not injured, when you were not playing. But you certainly made sure that your check was in your bank account every single month. We understand that mental health is a huge issue. It's serious. It's not something to be diminished or maligned in any way. But you know something? You think about your money. Every time you turned around, he thought about his money. And I'm a fan of Ben Simmons. I like him genuinely as a person. But I can't even measure the level of disappointment I have towards him. I watched this man blossom into a star and an all-star caliber player in this league for years. As a youngster in this league, at 6'9", will his ball handling and passing and playmaking skills, along with his defensive prowess, even with the inability to shoot shots from the perimeter, he was still considered an elite player in this game. And somehow, some way, he let the noise get to him in a way that prevented him from playing the, and playing the game. He actually treated basketball as if you were asking him to be on the front lines of a war or something. It made no sense whatsoever. And so now that we've transitioned to this point where he's legitimately injured with his back or it's a knee problem or whatever else he comes up with, you're not delegitimizing the injury. You believe him and you understand not to sit up there and malign him as if you're questioning the legitimacy of the injury. We're not doing that. What we're saying is, we don't care yeah. because if it were not that injury, it would be something else because over the last two to three years, what you've shown us is an unwillingness to have a passion to play the game of basketball. And I don't think the United States should accept it. I don't think Australia should accept it. I don't think any place on the planet that loves the game of basketball should co-sign and condone Ben Simmons' lack of commitment to the game of basketball. Enough's enough. It's unacceptable. You're too great. You're too talented. You're too gifted to be allowing your talents to waste away the way that he has. I'm not excusing it anymore. He's lucky he injured. Because if he weren't injured, I'd be talking about him every chance that I got until he gets back on the court and shows us his greatness. Because he can be a great player, a very talented player. But enough of this nonsense. Take a breath, Stephen. But uh, Hoops fans, keen to get your thoughts on that. one 736 736 Fair? A little bit harsh? Or pretty close to being on the money? one 736 736 Plenty coming through on the 40 Winks Temper. 433 Temper, a mattress like no other. Just a reminder, coming up on our McCafe menu at a 10 o'clock, Crash Craddock will join us as uh, we'll chat what's happened on the weekend. We'll build up to the first test in Perth. On Thursday, a bit of golf as well. Uh, the, the the drama with Liv and John Rahm on Friday. Sounds like more players are eventually uh, some big names are going to join him on the Live Tour as well. I'm sure we'll have some thoughts on Eddie Jones heading to Japan as well. Gareth Hall will chat some racing. Courtney Walsh will chat some tennis. And Dean Vickerman, uh, great bounce back from United yesterday, destroying 
the Brisbane Bullets by 35 points at John Kane Arena. Just a couple off the 40 Winks temper before we get to the break on these long contracts in the AFL. Dave says, I'm not fond of the long contracts for the rank and file player, but Rosie is a genuine star of the comp and he's only going to get better soon. I'm okay with that. Norton has proved himself as a wildly mediocre player with a good set of hands. No, no, he's not a mediocre player. He's a lot better than... A mediocre player. At times he can be a mediocre kick for goal, but as a footballer, he is far, far better than mediocre. He believes his deal is insane. Now, a couple of people, I think they've made a very good point. The threat, or it's not the threat, the incoming Tasmanian team is a reason we are seeing so many long-term contracts, of course. What concessions they're going to get, the Tasmanian team, but they will get some access to players from other teams, you would think, and therefore you don't want to be vulnerable and leave some of your stars uh out of contract uh, on terms of uh, sportsmen, sportswomen or uh, sporting teams that need to put up or shut up. Uh, Tim from Brighton said the Matildas. Uh, someone says here that's rubbish. All our main players play in major leagues. That number will only improve and increase. Drawing inane questions from the Canada experiment is diluted and demonstrates poor knowledge of the big picture and then finishes with Merry Christmas. Uh, not that it will ever happen, but would love the flat track bully David Warner to have to put up a score in the first test on a decent deck. And if he doesn't, he doesn't get the road to the G and he doesn't get his fairy tale. You're an opener in the baggy green for two years with one decent score. Earn it, says Adrian. And Jules, they didn't need a leaf blower last night. They needed a bottle of petrol and a frame flamethrower like we've seen them use on wet pitches in India and the West Indies in the past. Nick, hang on. I'll get to you on the other side of the break. You want to talk AFL contracts. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and also Host Plus. It's on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Nick from Perth's been holding on and wants to talk about AFL contracts. Uh, Nick, thanks for your patience. Yeah, g'day, Jules. Just on regards to the Norton contract, my dog supporter, I think they should have signed Jamara on a long-year deal over Norton. Norton's too hit and miss. The problem was, Nick, you got the Sydney Swans offering him the world. So they they were sort of forced into a forced into it to a degree. I'm not sure what they were thinking initially. That was their initial thoughts to give him the tenure that long. But in a way, if a rival club's coming and you really want him, you sort of have to you have to fork out. Yeah. He's but he's not me sorry, Nick, he's not mediocre. I mean we had a, a We've had a couple of texts saying he's a mediocre footballer. He's far better than that. Uh, he's not mediocre, but he, yes. Some, some weeks he's good, some weeks he, he doesn't touch it. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to see him play in defence more? I would, but I can't see that many. So so I'll ask you this question then. To, to the Western Bulldogs' long-term future, who, who's the most important out of these three? Aaron Norton. Jamara Eugle Hagen or Tim English? I would say Jamara Eugle Hagen. Mm. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Nick. I tend to agree. Tim English is a fantastic player and you don't want to lose him. But we have seen with the premiership teams over the last 10 to 12 years, not many have had elite Ruckman. So you can get Ruckman from somewhere else. Max Gorn is the exception uh, to that rule in recent years. And uh, for me, I agree. I, I think Jamara is probably the one. But Aaron Norton's a gun. I mean, people describe him as mediocre. That is absolute rubbish. Uh, let's get to Pete in Paran, who wants got some thoughts on this as well. Hello, Pete. Hey, Joe. 
Great to speak with you. And uh, it's been amazing on the show as well, as you always do. So, um, yeah, what this gentleman was saying. So, firstly, uh, you, you say about Norton, the Sydney Swans threw everything at him. I think that's a problem with our system. If you look at uh, football, uh, the world game football, mm-hmm. um, the club who has a player and he's likely to lose him will get rewarded with a big sum of money from yeah. the other club, right? And he, uh, if you have a, uh, a player with talent that, that you may have struggled to hold because of uh, um, salary cap or whatever, you get no reward for losing a player like that. So that's, that's one thing, okay? That, that we don't reward the club. And therefore, clubs feel pressured into doing things, doing unnatural things, if you like, contractually. Secondly, Norton, you mentioned about Norton's far beyond or far better than average. We, I think you were speaking about capability, because in terms of performance, it has been average. But he shows capability beyond average, which he has not utilised or been able to capture consistently, in my humble opinion. That's my thoughts, Phil, and thank you for taking my call. No, nah, pleasure, Pete. I guess the difference is uh, when you're talking about the world game, you're, de- you're dealing with a world market. So it it is far different, and I take your point, but every club's in the same situation. The the Bulldogs can go out and offer someone a contract for 10 years as well. So it's, it is uh, swings and roundabouts, and it is the art of list management, and it's the art of building a good culture, and it's the art of building a club that people want to stay at and uh, not leave, which we've seen the best clubs being able to do. You're harsh on Norton. He's far better than that. Okay, at times he's, his goal-kicking lets him down, but his ability to crunch packs, to take contested marks, his work rate, I think, from uh, at, and his, you know, his ability to tackle and compete inside that forward 50, I think he's an outstanding player. So, you know, And he's 23. He's 23 years of age. He's a young man. I mean, key forwards don't often blossom to 25, 26, 27. So... Uh, just give him some time. And at the end of the day, he might be a better centre-half back. But he's playing the needs for the Western Bulldogs have been, up until now, you would say, that he, he needs to play in the front half. And he's done a pretty good job of it. So I'm a bit surprised some people are, are that hard on Aaron Norton. Bulldogs fans, if you agree or disagree, let us know. one three hundred seven three six seven three six, 736 736 Or send us through a temper text 0433 98 is another one. Aaron Norton's a gun. Give me a spell. He needs to improve to be considered mediocre, says Chris in Point Cook. Well, if Aaron wants to come down to the, the hangar, he's more than welcome because I think he'd be a pretty good key forward uh, at the Bombers. Uh, speaking of the cricket, uh, it's interesting. We, we had this talk of, you know, it was going to be a bit of a bat-off between uh, Marcus Harris and Cam Bancroft and Matt Renshaw. Matt Renshaw clearly won the bat-off, making an unbeaten century. Unfortunately, the weather intervened and uh, that match ended a day early. But is it going to matter anyway? I mean, are we going to pick an opener to replace David Warner, or are we going to rejig the batting lineup to try and get Cam Green in the side? Uh, is that a good move? Is that a calculated risk? Or given, you know, if you look at some of the, the series we've got ahead, if you look at next summer, we've got India here for five tests. How dangerous is that, rejigging the batting order? Ricky Ponting uh, was on 7 News on Saturday and uh, spoke about a couple of these issues around the test team uh, in the near future. Test match summer coming up, Ricky. Is it time to freshen up this Australian team? Over half of them are over 30 years of age. Oh, I don't think so just yet. I think a lot of that's going to happen organically. David Bourne is all on record saying he's going to retire at the end of this summer. They will want to think about staggering the departures of some of these players, though. Back when I was, you know, 2005-06, when a lot of our stars left at once and left a big void in our side. So I think it'll work itself out, but 
not just yet. Keep them together as long as they can. Is there room in the same Test match team for Cam Green and Mitch Marsh? No, I don't think there is, JB. I'm on record saying that a couple of weeks ago. I think, unfortunately, with Mitchell Marsh coming back into the team and playing as well as he did, I think Cam Green's just got to sit out and wait for a while. I think they need to pick who they believe is their best opener when David Warner is finished, and then Cam Green's got to sit and wait. I agree with Ricky Ponting. Do you agree on that one? I mean, we've seen it in the past. You know, Justin Langer went up from number three to open, but Justin Langer wasn't an outstanding number three when he went up to open. So you're really going to move someone like Mark Marnus Labuschagne up to open the batting just to make sure you get Cameron Green into the side? Are you going to do the same potentially with Travis Head from five to open in the batting? Are you going to do that with Mitch Marsh to get him up to open the batting when, you know, num- lower down the order suits him better? Or is that the sort of risk we need to take to make sure we get the best out of Cameron Green and get him in the side? Or do you think just pick an opener to be an opener, give the faith in someone like Renshaw or Bancroft or even Marcus Harris and give them a chance to perform? Let us know. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 We'll put those questions to Crash Craddock after 10. Also after 10, Dean Vickerman will join us from Melbourne United. Great weekend for the Melbourne teams. United thrashed the bullets. The Phoenix went up to Sydney and defeated the Kings. They play each other Thursday night in a throwdown. I think there's only about 300 tickets left for that match as of yesterday morning. So that might very well be a sellout by now. Gareth Hall and Courtney Walsh will join us in the last hour to chat some racing and some tennis, respectively, on the McCafe menu. McCafe, our official coffee partner. You're listening to Mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and Host Plus. Mornings on SEN. He's enjoying himself against Trippier at the moment. Son here, man. Richardson is there to finish. Tottenham get that key second goal. What a ball that is. This can settle it now. Two goals for Richardson. I've been struggling with that a little bit all week because, you know, we're kind of trying to build something here, and part of that is to kind of, you know, through the tough periods. Just not allow the lads too much latitude in terms of excuses, but the reality of it is, and I've probably been too hard on them in retrospect, we got decimated after the Chelsea game. And it's no coincidence that now we're getting some players back, we're starting to look a little bit stronger. And I'm not going to speak on Eddie Howe's behalf, but I can see what he's going through. You know, And in this league, you have one or two key players out, you're going to struggle. Yeah, Tottenham 4, Newcastle 1. He makes a good point. Newcastle are juggling Champions League. They're uh, juggling uh, EFL Cup and Premier League. You've got a lot of injuries and they look spent uh, last night. Spurs 4, Newcastle 1, Everton 2, Chelsea 0, Man City 2, Luton 1 and Fulham 5, West Ham 0. Uh, the big results, of course, Saturday, a couple of interesting results. Aston Villa 1, Arsenal 0, Manchester United at home 3-0 loss to Bournemouth. So good start to the week for Ange Postacogla. Great start to the week for Connor Rosie. So it has been confirmed he has signed an eight-year contract extension and been appointed club captain at Port Adelaide for 2024. So he's signed on until at least the end of 2032 and replaces Tom Jonas as club's captain, meaning he will will wear the number one Guernsey in 2024. So as we mentioned before, a bit of a signing spree at Port Adelaide. Zach Butters, Willem Drew and Ollie Lord have all extended their contracts in recent weeks. Uh, so Butters has been announced as the vice captain. So the two young guns uh, are going to lead Port Adelaide probably for the next decade, uh, all things being equal. Sam Pal Pepper, Dan Houston and Willem Drew 
uh, also part of a larger leadership group. So as we said before, two Rosie's deal makes he and Western Bulldogs spearhead, the non-mediocre spearhead, Aaron Norton, the players with the longest contracts in the league. Uh, great couple of years for Connor Rosie. Uh, 2022 won the best and fairest, and he's been named in the All-Australian team uh, in the last two years, of course. Butters, an All-Australian and the best and fairest uh, this year. So well done to Connor Rosie, as one says. Connor Rosie, captain, you bloody beauty, says Louis off the 40 Winks temper. After the break, uh, we're going to speak to one of our favourites here, the wisdom and experience. That means the one and only Robert Craddock. Mornings on SEN. I think it'll be a pretty, how do I put this? It'll look the same as what it has before. There you go. Myself and Dave talk regularly, so um, nothing out of the ordinary. So, yeah, I think that's a long way behind all of us. For us, it's gathering information and making the decision when we need to make the decision. So that's as simple as it gets. We've got no firm views on it at the moment. Davey's playing the first test match and, and we'll go from there. That was Andrew McDonald on the weekend in Perth as we build up to the first test on Thursday, Australia v Pakistan. Just talking about the team will be pretty predictable. Uh, so I think we know what the 11 is going to be and also the, the David Warner situation with Mitch Johnson and also uh, who will be the opener, if it is an opener, to replace David Warner when his time is up. One man that will be all over it. It's the wisdom and experience on a Monday is Robert Crash Craddock who joins us. Hello, Crash. G'day, Jules. Yeah, I always love first test week, you know, that, you know, and particularly in Perth, Optus Stadium, it's not the wacker which we love for its wildness and rawness, but it's still good fun. It is good fun, and uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a, a pretty firm watch on the size of the crowd for what they're calling now the West Test. Um, are you confident or more hopeful the locals will, will get out and support this test match? Uh, hopeful. I have to say there were really modest crowds last year against the West Indies, but that was part of the, the Justin Langer uh, fallout when he was sacked as coach. And then, of course, after that, um, Justin was used to promote this test as a way of sort of healing the wounds. They're not a great draw card, Pakistan. They never have been. But uh, I understand ticket sales have, have been only so-so. So you you can't really say it's a... Um, you know, it, it's a reaction to the snubbing of Bancroft or the, the, the Langer situation. I, I, I do think the crowds for Pakistan will be pretty soft this series. There seems to be some thought in the West that, you know, moving the, the, the test matches from the Wacker over to the Perth Stadium has been a, a reason behind the crowd drop-off. But it'd be fair to say the crowds weren't great at the Wacker in, in, in the latter years for test matches. Yeah, it was just a deceptive th- th- because they the, the Wacker only held what was it twenty two thousand. So if you got seventeen thousand there, mm. it looked to be heaving. And uh, I got to be honest, Jules, <laughs> I'm a was a mad Wacker man. I, I just just it was something about like walking into a Wild West saloon when you walked into the Wacker. It was rough and it was raw, but it was real. You know. Just you could hear the really hear the crowd so strongly, and yet uh, the wicket had bounced, and yeah, the slips would be back twenty five meters, and just the whole vibe of it. And it, it's a good hey, they've done a really good drop in wicket at Optus Stadium, yeah. but it's just when it's you know one four, a quarter full, it just doesn't sort of like shake, rackle, and roll in the way that the the, the Gabba did. Uh, sorry, the Wacker did it in a very much a. Uh, Wild West Saloon sort of fashion. And in in fairness to our friends in WA, they've been a little bit unlucky. I mean, the West Indies is not a draw card, and the heat 
uh, at times, particularly for the Indian Test match, was was pretty tough for people to go and sit out uh, in the heat. Uh, just before we continue with the yeah. Test uh, crash, hasn't been a great start to the Big Bash. What what did you make of what happened in Geelong last night? Uh, I thought it was poor because if you're having a, a, a relatively new first class ground and a, a, to hosting major fixtures. The, the single most underrated part of that is the covers. And it's so often the one that they forget most. And to, to have a wicket that's not properly covered, I thought, was a, a cardinal sin in the modern day. The sneaky part of me, Jules, being a dodgy deck man from way back, <laughs> I was sort of hoping that they'd just keep playing. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to see some vicious sort of stuff out there, did you, Crash? Well, it's just, do you know, the person I thought about when I was watching it, strangely enough, was Marnus Labouchain, who goes to Bunnings in the off-season, buys these mats <laughs> and puts metal little trickets on them so that the ball darts hither and thither around, and he loves it. Like, he plays backyard or indoor cricket against his mates, and if you get 17 or 18, it, it, uh, like, in an innings before being four or five men out, you've done really well. He, he, a part of Marnus would have loved to bat on that, you know, but you have to be honest, it was substandard. You, you can't, you know, for, for all the... As I said, 20% of me was thinking, geez, I'd love this match to go its full course. <laughs> because, you know, sometimes I think cricket particularly the Big Bash, can try and be too sort of puritanical. Like, you know, I know the big bosses are fearful of any critical word of the Big Bash or anything like that, and you get the phone call, oh, what were you thinking? Whereas sports like rugby league, they just let it roll. They just think publicity's great. Mm. It's a bush, rugby league is a bushfire that just keeps burning, and they don't mind that because it attracts debate and everything like that. So... Uh, yeah, it's been with a washout in that game last night. hasn't been the greatest of starts, I have to say, but there's been some not nice fare in amongst it too. There has. I mean, thankfully, and no one did get hurt, so we don't want to be alarmist about it, but when you hear Nick Maddinson say at the talks, you know, the, the wicket is soaked, we're just going to bowl and see how we go. Should have the game started at all? Probably not, but I, I do get it. Sometimes I don't mind calling a game off as opposed to, abandoning, like, they've given it a chance, haven't they? The result was the same. Points were shared. I mean, they're, they're, and wickets are so hard to read, Jules. I've known wickets that people have said, oh, gee, bowl on this and you'll be all out for 60, and teams have made 360, you know? So sometimes you've just got to have a look at it. But, look, it was apparent from the first 10 balls of the match, and what Aaron Hardy is one of the most, uh, the top-run scorer, mm. Uh, in the competition last year and missed these first six deliveries. Couldn't even get bat on ball. So <laughs> it took us all back to the backyard. <laughs> Christmas Day where there's been a thunderstorm and um, your big brother's got the new ball and you're thinking, gee, I don't want to face <laughs> up on this, but you do and you just can't get bat on ball. It was quite quite an exhilarating little 30 balls, wasn't it? It was, yeah. You couldn't take your eyes off it, uh, no doubt about that. Just on, we saw what happened in Canberra on the weekend, which was pretty freakish, really, the storm overnight. So I don't think anyone's really being too critical of the ground staff up there at Monica. But is it a little bit archaic, the way we still cover pitches and what we use it? Did, or is there, is there a better way? Yeah, it, it, it's... No, no, you've just got to be really thorough and exhaustive about it. And and it was the same same crime, wasn't it, as Geelong. Like the, 
the, the non-properly covered pitch. And it is a, it is a bad, it's, it's, as I say, it's the single most underrated mistake used by grounds that aren't totally frequent in having first-class matches. Canberra should have been up to it. They really should have. I mean, they're a test venue, so no excuse there. Just looking ahead to the test series against Pakistan, I mean, there was some. It was a pretty docile pitch up there at Manika Oval, but Shah Massoud made the double hundred. They got Babar Azam. They got Shaheen Afridi. Are we underestimating this Pakistan Pakistan team a little bit? Everyone just seems to assume that, given their poor record in Australia, Australia will just wallop them three nil. But is that a little bit disrespectful to this Pakistan team? Uh, a tad, although they've never been as big as the some of their parts. Australia grows, as Greg Chappell said in his column, that Australia is bigger than the sum of its parts. Pakistan is smaller. They always have been. There's always been <laughs> so many internal forces. And I feel where Pakistan cricket is at the moment was summed up by the astonishingly stupid appointment of <laughs> Salman Butt. How does that happen, Crash? Uh, well, yeah, just to explain to people, Salman Butt was the guy who, felt the captain who was paid by the news of the world in a secret sting to organise his bowlers to play no balls, uh, to bowl no balls at Lords, and he was appointed as selector for about 24 hours. <laughs> the reason why was he's a great mate of the head selector, Wahab Riaz, a former fast bowler who wanted him there and saw this as part of his rehabilitation. But every other, you know, thank goodness, some wise heads in Pakistan, including Ramiz Raja, the former chairman of Pakistan Cricket, said, what? You've brought him back? I mean... What about the optics of it? How does it look? A guy banned for match-fixing being a selector? Are you kidding? So it's we should be so grateful for our system, really, Jules, because there's... I mean, I'll give you an example. Pat Cummins, he was nursed through the system when he had a bad back. Yep. He, didn't, he barely played for about two or three seasons. I, I promise you, there's been Pat Cummins's in Pakistan who would have played one or no tests and never been heard of again. There's a whole series of them, you know, the, of these, you know, I remember a really fast bowler they had, Mohammed Zahir. You know, what happened to him? They, they get a back injury, they don't get the right treatment, they disappear. So you've got to be tough to make it. And I love them. I, I always find them such an interesting team just for, you know, they they spit out a Wasim Akram, you know, the, <laughs> probably the you know, one of the great bowlers of all time. And, and they're, they're, they're so interesting to watch. And there'll be that sort of player this tour. Will it be Baba Azam again? You know, Shaheen Shah Afridi. They're, they're brilliant players, but they just struggle to put it all together. So what are you looking forward to most in this three-match series between Australia and Pakistan? I mean, they they've lost 16 tests in a row in Australia going back to 95. So that doesn't inspire you with much confidence. But what are you looking forward to the most? Well, I think there's just a few little enchanting storylines. What's going to happen to David Warner? Like, it's will he get to Sydney? You know, if he fails in Perth, will the chatter start? Well, here's a simple one. When David walk, walks out to bat in Perth, what sort of reception will he get at Optus Stadium where they still feel that Cameron mm-hmm. Bancroft took the rap for Sandpaper Gate and all that? So that's, that's the intriguing storyline mm-hmm. for me in the summer. And, and, and I'm also hopeful that I know he hasn't poked his uh, nose through in the first test selection, but that Lance Morris, the wild thing, does get a test at some point. Um, I think that'll be interesting. And I'm very much looking forward to when Warner does retire, the new opening batsman, Jules, because well, I'll ask you this question. Will it be an opener? Well, that's the thing. Do you, 
Do you go the traditional way and put in a Renshaw or a Bancroft who, like Kawaja, is so sedate and calm? Or do you say, no, no, we'll take our nod from Basball, even though you'd never admit it, and, and, and say to Mitchell Marsh, you know, Mitchell, there's five blokes tied up in the slips cordon when the new ball's been bowled. Why don't you go out there and give it a bit of Larry Dooley and just see how you go for about 35 minutes and have a new style of opener for whom, you know, 39 off 38 balls, much like baseball, is a pass mark. And while that's happening, Kawaja is just getting nicely settled at the other end. I must admit, Jules, I'll be interested in your thoughts, but I like that way. Mm. Uh, and I wrote in the paper the other day that, you know the really frustrating thing about baseball for us, the things that's really irritating, was that it actually worked. It did work. <laughs> for a while. But, Mm. Well, well, hey, guess what? If there's no rain in that test, England win the test series 3-2. Mm. Yeah. You know, they were storming home. Like, like the, and Greg Baum uh, wrote a great column, and, and that's the thing that he said, he said, damn it. He said, baseball works. It does work, that aggressive philosophy. And I don't think there's any shame in Australia sending out Mitch Marsh. You know, his, his dad was an opener. His brother was mm-hmm. an opener. He's open with the white ball. Could he stand up to Boomerah and Shammy? Next season, though, that's the big one. That's the question, isn't it? We've got some big home summers to come after this one, starting with India. I mean, how big of a risk is that? I guess that's the thing, isn't it, Crash? Whatever you think about Dave Warner, we have been spoilt for a long time because of the pace that he scores at. Uh, Well, it it is true. It's the single most underestimated thing about Warner is his strike rate of 70. Just the combined stats. A batting average of 44 opening the batting and a strike rate of 70. That, I mean, that is outstanding, really. And, and I know he's been out of form for three years. And I know that, look, would I have had him in this last test, this next test? I'm not sure. Oh, I get why. They couldn't quite find the replacement they wanted. But, but his record is outstanding and he's a really hard man to replace. Uh, you know, to the point where I don't think there'll be another David Warner but um, but the one thing that you, I do like is trying to replicate his tempo, uh, to try to get someone like Marsh to have a bit of a crack. And, of course, by putting Marsh up the order, you, you then find room for Cameron Green, who's going to be there for 10 years. And as Mitchell Johnson pointed out, Jules, eight of the 11 players in this test team are 32 yep. years or above. And yeah. You, and you don't want them all to go at the same time as Ricky Ponting uh, said on the weekend. Two more questions about the opening spot. Uh, so, in your mind, it's, it's so we're ruling out Labuschagne going to the top. We're ruling out Travis Head going to the top. So it's either Mitch Marsh goes to the top of the order, or a specialist opener comes in. Is that is that how you see it? Yes, yes. Labuschagne doesn't want to bat there, and, and so he's out for mine. And if a number three one three is a high position in mm. the order, if he says I'm happy at three, you wouldn't do it against his wishes. I get it. Cameron Bancroft, I still feel that oh, last year where he mentioned about the fast bowlers yep. when someone said, do you think they knew about ball tampering? And he said, what do you say? Something, oh, I think it's pretty obvious mm. or something like that, that they released a statement. Oh, I don't think they've ever properly healed from there, but I don't know. But it I, I certainly doesn't help his chances. Um, and I feel Marcus Harris, 
is sliding. Yep. And, and the thing about Bancroft is it's okay painting him as a heartbreak kid, but he has played tw- uh, 10 tests and every 26. They don't feel they owe him one thing. They but, don't. But didn't the likes – I mean, early days, Matthew Hayden's test record was similar to that, and he got another mm. chance. He did, but, hey, here's the thing. Uh, Cameron Bancroft's first-class average is late 30s, I think. Mm. Uh, Matthew Hayden's was scoring cent- – one stage, I think his batting average was 57 in first-class cricket. Like, it was out- he was scoring five centuries in about eight Sheffield Shield games. Like, it was – his form surge was outrageous. You're quite right, though. I remember when Matthew Hayden had an average of 23 in Test cricket and Steve Waugh said at a press conference, he'll double this, and he did. He ended up averaging 50 with 30 centuries and 100 tests. So, yeah, there is that sort of player. But it was his the thing they liked always liked about Hayden was his sort of gung-ho-ness, his front-footedness, and he'd get at him, whereas Bancroft's more sedate. And if you're going to be a more sedate player... You've mm. got to be good. You've got to be good to get their nod. Yeah, it's been interesting. Some people have compared, you know, um, putting Labuschagne to the top like Justin Langer, but Justin Langer wasn't outstanding number three when he was put to the top. He's averaging 39. Labuschagne averages 53. Just on one more on David Warner, hand on heart crash. Even if he fails twice in Perth, he's going to get to Sydney, isn't he? Unless Australia loses the first test. Mm. If, if Australia had a landslide loss in the first test and David Warner scores six and four, that would be the only way he wouldn't get to Sydney. But I tell you what's not going to happen. They're not going to drop him after the second test, you know, mm. because he, he, he would – that's too far. Like, yeah, that's, that's – he, he'll get to Sydney. Mm. But after – but I, 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 as I said to you last week, Jules, I've got him 95% certain of being in the – the, the uh, playing all three tests. I just think having made the decision to choose him in the series, I don't see how you could drop him mid-series. Some people, um, you know, strongly disagree with that. I'm out in the public and I'm hearing, you know, a lot of people saying, I agree with Mitchell Johnson, he shouldn't have been there. And um, But the, the, the only thing I'll say in Warner's defence is that when he was asked in England how long would you like to play for? He sort of said, well, ideally I'd like to get to Sydney. That'd be my last test, you know, I'd like that. He said, but I've got to score the run. Mm. So he didn't ask for a guarantee, nor was he given one. Yep, I agree. That's sort of been taken out of context a bit. Uh, On the other side of the break crash, I want to ask you about the world of golf. A lot's happened uh, in the last seven days uh, when it comes to John Rahm and and live. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and also another great friend of the program, Host Plus. On SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop with you. We're chatting with Robert Craddock. Uh, plenty of cricket on the agenda. Uh, Crash, before I leave the cricket, uh, plenty happening with the Australian women's cricket team. They're off to India this week. Uh, Elisa Healy announces the captain. No great surprise that she'll take over from Med Langing uh, full time, but also a pretty nice payday for a couple of our young stars as well. Yes, it is. Uh, in the uh, What I like about Elisa Healy, though, um, is her natural and slow progression to the Australian captaincy, and she promised that she w- just wants to be herself. She's always had, much like her Uncle Ian, that wicketkeeper's cheek to her, you know, and she's going to continue to have that, I think. But, uh, yeah, Annabelle Sutherland in the, uh, bought by the Delhi Capitals overnight in the IPL for 364000 uh, Phoebe Litchfield, 182,000, and uh, Georgia Wareham, 70,000, Sophie Molyneux, 55,000. But 
You just think of that. That's uh, I feel good for James Sutherland, the former boss of yes. Australian cricket, because he was a pioneer of women's cricket. He was pushing it when no one else was. Mm. And just to think that Annabelle, who I think he coached at one stage, and he still quips he's a better better bowler and bat than the old man. Um, she's uh, to, to have her to pick up that that sort of money, three hundred and sixty-four thousand. Think of that if you've said that to an Australian women's cricketer oh. 15 years ago, yeah. like when they were working two jobs just to get to training and almost paying for their gear and paying to play. It's just wonderful. It really is. It is. It's a talented sporting family, that one. Okay, that's that's good money, Crash, but it's not John Rahm money to go to live. What? what <laughs> now, we knew, we knew that we saw this coming, but what did you make of his reasons for going to live when he spoke last week? Oh, unconvincing and just... I just like guys being honest and say they're going for the big bucks. Now, just to let people know what's happened here, John Rahm from Spain initially was one of the biggest anti-live campaigners saying, I don't like the format, the the PGA Tour has looked after me, I'm so happy, why would I want to move? You know, the game, I, I want for nothing. And now he's signed with them for 500 million. So think of all every AFL team putting their salary cap into a pit. Uh for two years in a row, and that's basically every player in the competition, that's basically what John Rahm will learn. Jules, if you said to me, does Rahm have any mitigating circumstances, it's only this quote, all right? When Liv and the PGA Tour shocked the world by getting together, and they still haven't sorted out the threads, Rahm said he felt betrayed. Mm. He said, I think the general feeling is that a lot of people feel a bit of betrayal from management. It's just not easy as a player that's been involved, like many others, to wake up one day and see this bombshell. That's why we're all in a bit of a state of limbo, because we don't know what's going on. Now, I will tip to you that if if they hadn't joined forces, I don't reckon Rahm will be at live, would have been at live, even despite this money, because he was still offered that money before and said no to it a year ago. But when they got together, he thought, you know what? If they're going to do this to us, all bets are off. I'm going to join them. In a couple of years, they will be together. I'll be playing any tour I like. I can play Ryder Cup. I won the Masters. I'm qualified for all four majors for the next five years. I lose nothing. Yep. My reputation cops a bit of a smudge. I don't care. Well, that's the thing with all these big names. They're going to have the last laugh, aren't they, Crash? Whether it's a, a Brooks Kepter, whether it's Cameron Smith, whether it's John Rahm, they're going to be back playing in any tournament they want and they're going to have hundreds of millions of dollars in their pocket. Yeah, and strangely enough, it's sort of summed up to me by the physical state of Phil, Mickel- Phil Mickelson. They always say pioneers are the ones that finish with spears in their backs. When he was <laughs> the first player to jump to live... He was assassinated in the media. Like, he disappeared for about two months. He lost a lot of weight, and it was weight beyond his normal diet. He looked gaunt, and he sounded like a 70-year-old man. He really did. Now, Phil's up and being Phil again. He's cheeky on Mm -hmm. social media. He's back, and, you know, he's feeling very comfortable because he led a revolution that's actually climbed the walls of the fortress and sat down at the king's table. So it's just, you're right, they've lost nothing. Cameron Smith, when he signed for $150 million, he rang up guys like Ian Baker Finch and had 40 minutes on the phone with him and he sort of said, 
I just, you know, I I'm just don't know that I can do it. I, I just, he, he didn't sleep for weeks. He was struggling. Now, he's the most uh, relaxed guy you've ever seen because he, he, it's going to finish up quite beautifully for him. I noticed Tony Finau said no comment when asked he was, if he was going, so that means he's gone. So you can, you well, can, well, you can join him next. Do you know, very significant point. I'm glad you raised that. Like Tony, who's got five kids and is seen as one of the really good guys in the PGA Tour. He's not the best golfer out there, but he has got a following. And, and, and that's what Liv have done. They've got guys with followings. Bryce and DeChambeau is very unlikable, yes. but people watch him. Mm. Phil Mickelson, you know, um, all those guys. Yeah, Kepka, uh, yep. Kepka, Johnson. They've all got their but, – but, 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 they're, but they're crowd magnets. And I look at these PGA Tour events in America and I have to say it, gosh, they look bland sometimes. Mm. No, they do. They do. And we saw the, the live event here in Adelaide. It certainly was anything but uh, where this all ends up. Uh, who knows? Hang on, Crash. On the other side of the news with Nathan Gardner, I want to ask you about the one and only Eddie Jones. Thank you, Nathan. Uh, Robert Craddock joins me, as he does on a Monday. Uh, Robert, a lot of things surprise us in sport. Eddie Jones signing for Japan imminently doesn't surprise us. When I say the name Eddie Jones and what's happened in 2023, what do you think? Sport's most unbelievable man. I I just (laughs) cannot... This is one of the most extraordinary stories. And just to explain it to people, Eddie Jones took Australia to the World Cup in France. A story broke just before the first game that he was... Even though he had four years left in his contract, he was in talks to coach Japan. No one could believe it. And he denied it 14 times. He ridiculed journalists who asked him questions about it in the press conference. He sneered at them. He glared at them. And it was just so... And all the while, the interviews just continued. Uh, voices of reason, such as former international Tim Horan, were saying, no, I've checked this out. He has spoken to them. And finally, news comes yesterday that he's unofficially uh, accepted the job. So I just, how could you ever believe another word he says Mm. when all the while he was heading Japan where the country of his mother and his wife and, and he's got, he's coached them before, it all makes sense except for this eternal series of caustic denials, he, he, his credibility now has been absolutely destroyed. I mean, you, you mentioned Tony for now with Live Golf. He, he's not denying he said nothing. When John Rahm was in the most sensitive of discussions, that was the big giveaway. He just disappeared. Previously, he just fired up on Twitter. No, I haven't spoken. No, I'm not doing anything. And that was correct at the time. So he doesn't have to apologise for anyone for changing course. But Eddie Jones? My God. Jules, if we sat down and went through it, you would burst out laughing at some of the things he said to journalists at press conferences. It was terrible. It's unbelievable. It's been probably one of the most fascinating stories in sport this year. Uh, And as you say, 14 denials. That is is embarrassing. So what what now for the Wallabies? How do you see their next 12 to 24 months playing out? Well, do you know what? <laughs> he he did in his tumultuous ten months stint at the Wallabies. He got one. He did one thing from. He got people talking about the Wallabies and mildly <laughs> interested in them. Now they will appoint a new coach. I hope they go for Stephen Larkham, a yep. former decorator, five eight. He, he's the he's the hand that should follow unsteady Eddie. You know, in, in that because he's a. Uh, He's everything that, that 
Jones wasn't. And that's so often that's the way with coaches, you know. You go from a tumultuous, a, a volatile Justin Langer to a calm Andrew McDonald. So often the coach is an antidote to the guy that follows him. And I think what they need now is a, is a steady hand at the wheel. He'll get that. The big, uh, they've got a British Lions tour uh, uh, of Australia in a couple of years and a World Cup a couple of years after that. They're the big goals. They're the big goals. So uh, people, they're not far away from get it, from improving. And here's the thing. There's something, Jules, deliciously opportunistic about being at the bottom of the barrel mm-hmm. when suddenly if they beat South Africa, the world champions in a test, it means something. If they, if they, every test victory they have from now on, because they were so down in the Eddie, in, in the Eddie regime, every victory means something. And, and you know what? That can be sort of a, oh, not nice place to be sometimes. And last one, we saw, I can't remember the name of the player, you'll remind me, but does the NRL sniff a bit of blood in the water at the moment and think they can get some big name rugby players across the league? Oh, they, they can and they have, you know. Um, Marky Mark, the great centre they've brought over uh, with the who, whose uh, father was uh, you know, from the South Pacific Islands and, and, and they, they love snatching an occasional wallaby. They really do because Peter Volandis has been in this little private war with Rugby Union for a couple of years and the Roosters have signed Mark, and I know I'll pronounce his name wrong, Noah Kanetawasase. Noah? That's why, that's why I didn't try Crash and I handballed it to you and you took Noah the bait. Kanan, <laughs> it's a very, it's a wazi. It, it is. Yeah. It's a tough it's name. It's the sort of thing, that's why the commentators call him Marky Mark, but it's, uh, it's a beautiful too. exotic name. He's a good player, good attacking player. His defence might need some some polishing up, but uh, but no, he's, uh, there'll be more of that. There'll be more of tit for tat because uh, Rugby Union signed Joseph Suwali to a $5 million deal. Sorry, $3 million deal. So that's interesting. Crash, uh, on behalf of Jared as well and Ross, uh, thank you for all your contributions over 2023. Uh, enjoy the summer of cricket. Have a great Christmas and New Year. And we'll chat again soon. My pleasure, Jules. Merry Christmas, everyone, and thanks for coming on the journey. Always great to have Robert Crash Craddock, the wisdom and experience on a Monday. He will return in 2024. Let's get a breakaway for mornings uh, for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now. And Host Plus, after the break, great response from Melbourne United on the weekend against the Bullets. We'll chat with their coach, Dean Bickerman. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoop with you on Thursday night. It'll be the top of the table. Melbourne United up against the third place, South East Melbourne Phoenix in the throwdown. Both had great wins on the weekend. The Phoenix went up to Sydney and defeated the Kings while United bounced back in style from their loss to Cairns last week, thumping the Brisbane Bullets by 35 points yesterday at John Kane Arena. And their coach, Dean Vickerman, joins us. Morning, Dean. Morning. They say a week's a long time in football. It's a long time in basketball. You give up 67 points and a half last week and just 68 for the entire game yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, good to be able to, you know, rectify um, what we felt was a, a soft defensive performance for us against Cairns. But, you know, no, you know, giving great credit to Cairns as well. They, they've really shot the basketball well. You know, there's not too many teams have come in and shot the basketball at 75% for a half as well. So, uh, but yeah, good to turn things around. And, you know, Chris was uh, amazing in that second quarter and, and really, um, you know, getting us a, a big lead in the second quarter. Just on Chris, game 250 yesterday. He's been an outstanding form all season. Have you, have you seen him play better than he is right now? 
I think for a stretch of games, um, it's hard to to say he's he's played better basketball at United than this this period where we we had Delhi out for a while, we've had Ian Clark out for a while, and his ability to step up, and now having all those guys back and still being able to do the same things has been outstanding. Just that you mentioned, you were pretty strong on the defence uh, last week, saying you were confident that wouldn't happen again, a defensive performance like that, where you give up, you know, 67 and a half, 115 for the game. So so during the week, and you've got a week between matches, well, what is the key to rectifying that? Is it is it on the court? Is it some tough conversations off the court? How did you go about it last week? Yeah, I think the, the whole group owned the review fairly well, and and when we put it back on our coaching staff to start with, to say that you know we've allowed uh, slippage to happen, we've allowed people to um, you know get off the body and not use their physicality and get out of stance and just you know not be a step ahead. And so uh, I thought you know we held players to account much better. Uh, they owned that that it wasn't Melbourne United defence, and and we made our change. There was a, a ruthlessness about the performance yesterday. Three-quarter time, you had the game safely in your keeping, but 26 points to nine in the last quarter. You must have been pleased that once you had the foot on the throat, you kept it on. Yeah, you know, so one of our values is to be relentless. And, um, you know, I thought there was a, um, you know, a point there where we just kept going. It was like, we're not going to back off here. You know, it's important that we... Uh, because the last time we played them, we had a you know a twenty plus point lead, and and they put some uh, full court extended pressure against us and trapped us, and we turned the basketball over a number of times, and so um, I think we just wanted to make sure we closed the game much better. Speaking of Melbourne United, Coach Dean Vickerman, a great response from United yesterday with a thirty five point win over Brisbane at John Kane Arena. A couple of big games coming up this week, including the Throwdown on Thursday, and uh, your opposition's in in pretty good nick, uh, Dean, uh, off the back of yesterday's performance up in Sydney. Yeah, quality performance from them. Um, you know, undermanned with no import and Ruben Tarangi um, and others out as well. And so, yeah, you know, really, really good performance for them. And, um, you know, we look forward to this throwdown on Thursday. It's such a unique game where, um, you know, there's a lot of United fans there at the game and there's a lot of Southeast fans. And so you kind of get this unique crowd where, where one team scores, there's good cheers. One of the other <laughs> team scores, there's good cheers. And they bounce off each other. And, yeah, really fun environment to play. Just keen to get your thoughts on what happened in Cairns late last week, Dean. It was interesting, the comments from Adam Ford saying if he was in the position of the Kings at halftime with that lead, he'd want to see that the game ended. The two teams agreed to play on. Without a shot clock, it was a you know fifty minute stoppage. The air conditioning broke down, all hell broke loose. How do you think you would have handled that as a coach on the night? Yeah, it's tough to say. We've been in some situations like that over the years, um, where you know slippery floor. You call the game. How do you how do you go about it? Um, you know that that one was. I think we've had some shot clock failures before, and where we've you know the the, the MC or the on the guy on the mic is kind of calling out the shot clock and we're still you know playing with it so you know I was interested to hear that those coaches kind of agreed to just kind of play basketball the right way without a shot clock and and you know then then the you know they use a little bit more shot clock at different times and different things so I, I didn't like that part of it I would have struggled probably to not play with a shot clock but um, yeah, aircon I think you can deal with, and, and, let, and let, as long as the floor is 
um, you know, not dangerous or hazardous to, to, to players. Um, but, yeah, shot clock's a tough one to not deal with. Yeah, I'm assuming, Dean, that's probably the last venue in Australia you want the air conditioning to break down. <laughs> yeah, you know, we play... <laughs> we got a New Year's Eve game up there, so uh, hopefully everything's sorted by then and, you know, it could be a... Uh, hot, muggy kind of uh, New Year's Eve that, you you know, hopefully it's all sorted. And just on coaching, I mean, we, we speak to AFL coaches and, you know, you're obviously very competitive against each other as NBL head coaches and, and you want to win every time you come up against a rival team. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a, a brotherhood. You all understand the pressure each each one's under. So when, when something happens like last week and CJ Bruton part ways with the Adelaide 36ers, do you make contact with someone like that you've known for a long time? Do you do you give them some space before making contact? How does it sort of work when someone loses their job in the NBL? Yeah, no, I'm not too sensitive like that. You know, both Jacob and CJ, I reached out to as soon as I heard the news. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, my first year of coaching, you know, didn't go so well either. And just kind of, you know, letting them know that, um, you know, if they want to come and get a basketball fix to come into our program they're always welcome and and that the next job will be a great one for them and take it as a learning so you know that was my message to both those coaches and I hope to see them both in head coach positions in the future. Yeah that that is great to hear that uh, there is that brotherhood amongst the coaches just uh, one more on yesterday's performance Uh, five players in, in double figures with scoring is that is that sort of one sign you know you, you've got a good performance when it's, you know, Chris Golding top scores with 21, but you've just got such a, an even contribution offensively? Yeah, you know, I think that's where we can be really dangerous. And, you know, we've built this team on depth and, um, you know, the second quarter and the fourth quarter, you know, is where we want to try and really wear teams out. And if we can continue to move pieces and um, keep that pressure on, um, but then seeing different, you know, threats come on offensively, and um, you know, Tanner Krebs come in and made a couple of shots for us as well, and we we know we can get more out of him as the, as the year goes along. But yeah, having Ian Clark back and and Delhi back in good form as well, um, you know, makes us pretty dangerous right around the floor. Yeah, it must be nice to have uh, very few injury problems at the moment, Dean, because it hasn't been a luxury you've had so far this year. No, you know, the first the first full game that we actually played with a a complete roster. Uh, we had 45 seconds in one other game. So, um, you know, that's certainly the, when you look at, we're at the halfway mark of the season and, you know, Ken, um, you know, we just stay a lot healthier than we did the first half of the year. But, you know, obviously that bred opportunity for different people and there's good confidence from some guys that, you know, got some extra minutes in the first half of the year. Well, Dean, well done yesterday. As always, uh, very generous with your time, and uh, we can't wait for Thursday night. First versus third in a packed-out uh, throwdown. Thanks again for your time. Cheers. Dean Vickerman, Melbourne United coach. Uh, plenty more coming up after 11. Courtney Walsh is going to join us to talk some tennis, and Gareth Hall to chat a big weekend of racing, both in Australia and also in Hong Kong. Mornings on SEN. Nice text here from Days. Uh, Jules, big raps to the Brisbane Bullets. Yesterday, got their pants pulled down by United, and every player still took time to come over to the Polyfloor sponsorship box and acknowledge their presence. It was super professional of them. All say, Gazy and Andy has spoken about this already, but the music, way too much and way too loud. I want to watch the basketball. Nice of Steve Kerr to text through. It was my first NBL game for 10 years. Great scenes, but way too loud and too much music, says Dave. Yeah, I think some people would agree uh, with that one. But it is 
uh, part of the show at an NBL game. If you haven't been to an NBL game, uh, it is a very, very good uh, spectacle. Um, oh, hello. Hello. Breaking news. Ryan Daniels from WA, gun journo, says Daisy Pierce has been appointed the coach of the West Coast Eagles AFLW side. We'll look into that. Uh, more on the other side of the break. Courtney Walsh is going to join us. He's in Perth for the first test as part of Fox Sports. We're going to talk some tennis with him. Australian Open, not far away. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian DeStoot with you on what's a pretty dreary Melbourne day, but it's going to start heating up tomorrow. It's been an inconsistent start to summer. It's fair to say, just repeating that breaking news we brought to you before 11 from Ryan Daniels over in the West, uh, Daisy Pierce has been appointed the coach of the West Coast Eagles AFLW side, an official announcement is imminent. So great for Daisy, great for West Coast, but it's a bit of a blow for Geelong. Uh, development coach with the Cats, having signed a four-year contract. She began that in February uh, last year, so maybe the Cats will be on the lookout for another development coach. One man that is in the West, and he knows the West really well, having spent plenty of time over there in his new role with Fox Sports, he's over there to cover the cricket, but uh, loves his tennis as well, is uh, Courtney Walsh, and he joins us. Hello, Walshy. Yeah, good morning, uh, Jules. That's uh, a couple of coaches going from along with uh, Sean Grigg heading up to the Gold Coast senior assistant up there uh, under Damien Hardwick. So some coaches needed at the Cats. Absolutely, and uh, I'm sure that'll be a big story in WA as the morning unfolds. Uh, just before we get stuck onto the tennis, as we said, you're over there for Fox Sports uh Covering the cricket, the first test starting on Thursday. You know the the WA market really well. Um, you confident, hopeful, not that confident this test will be well supported, the West Test by the locals over there? Hopeful. Mm. Uh, certainly not confident, hopeful. Um, last year there was certainly some blowback uh, after the decision, I suppose, to oust Justin Langer as coach mid-November Wednesday starting date against the West Indies is never conducive to good crowds. And the WA public, I think, were, you know, certainly the cricket, I suppose, people were, were not happy with what had unfolded. And there was probably a little bit of a sense that the team was somewhat on the nose. Look, they're still not necessarily uh, delighted that Cameron Bancroft, for example, isn't seen as a logical uh, replacement for David Warner when he uh, retires we guess after the Sydney test, provided he performs reasonably well in the next uh, couple in Perth and also uh, Melbourne. But, uh, yeah, look, if they can get... Look, they're hoping for 70. They got 42 last year. I think if they can get to 55 uh, in terms of the total test, that'll be good. And, you know, 20 to 25 on the first day would be, I think within expectations, but whether they can do that. Beautiful weather over here, so you know it's a, it's a beach town. If they can get 20 to 25, I think they'd be happy on the first day. Yeah. At least there's not outrageous heat this year looking at the forecast. 27 Thursday, 28 Friday, 27 Saturday, 25 Sunday, and if it goes to a fifth day, 27. So at least extreme heat won't be an issue this year. Uh, only fans, Nick Kyrgios, 24 hours later, Walshy, uh, before I ask your opinion on this one, uh, this was Nick Kyrgios making the announcement that he is out of the 2024 Australian Open. This is a very disappointing time for me, but yeah, I won't be able to compete at the 2024 Australian Open. Had that knee surgery and came back a little bit too soon and set me back a little bit, then obviously had some wrist issues, heartbreaking. You know, I've had so many amazing memories there. I just want to really get back to playing at the top of my game and doing it right, and I need a little bit more time. 
you know, I was so close to winning a Grand Slam. I want to make sure that my body is going to have the time it needs to come back. I still will be around commentating matches, being around. I've got some special things planned. <laughs> Who knows what that means? Uh, special things planned. Uh, but Walshie, I mean, Brett Phillips was on uh, breakfast this morning saying he's got real concerns now whether Nick Kyrgios gets back at all. Do you do you share those concerns? Oh, look, I mean, I feel like giving himself time is an important thing. But any time you're away from tennis now for what will be, well, it'll be 18 months at least, and you're probably looking more like 21 months uh, effectively. Um, that one match aside that he played last year in Germany uh, where he really couldn't move, he uh, he was so far below any sort of uh, peak in terms of his agility. Um, moved like a an ocean liner on the tennis court and was subsequently beaten. And then you saw him at Wimbledon and you thought, this guy's a long way away. So knees are the concern. Wrists have been a, a problem for a lot of top players and someone like a Dominic team who mm. won a US Open, it's taken him the best part of you know 18 months to break back into the top 100 with the wrist issue. So they're, they're not to be trifled with. They may sound like it's uh, you know not necessarily the most serious of injury, but for a tennis player, given the... Uh, I suppose where your the way you, you leverage your wrist and the way you use that joint, uh, it can be really pro- problematic. So I do have some concerns. Look, giving himself time is clearly the right thing, but you're also a long time out of tennis. So you know he's closer to thirty. There's always been questions about his longevity anyway. And he's someone has also said, I don't really want to be playing past twenty-seven, and then I don't want to be playing past thirty. So you wonder where that motivation will be for him. There are some concerns, certainly, but look, get himself right. He's got an amazing serve, etc. I would like to see him back on the grass course at least one more time just to see where he's at, if he can get himself to that stage. We're speaking with Courtney Walsh, uh, foxsports.com.au. He's covering the cricket in Perth, and he'll uh, say he'll be covering the Australian Open and the Australian Summer of Tennis. Uh, so even if he does get back, though, Walsh, is the ship sailed he was so close a couple of years ago at Wimbledon. Has the ship sailed in terms of Nick breaking through and, and winning a Grand Slam? It, look, I think the chances are certainly minimal now. Um, not denying the quality of his game when he's on. And, and there was a period last year where he was absolutely in the top three or four players in the world. Uh, that that grass court uh, effort at Wimbledon where he was outstanding. He goes to Washington, D.C. and plays brilliantly on the hard courts there. He was very, very good at the U.S. Open, but sort of blunted in a quarterfinal by Karen Harshanov, who is, a, is an outstanding Russian player. The problem is, you've still got Novak running around at 36, playing as well as he's played, arguably. You've got Sinner coming through, who is of outstanding quality. You've got Alcaraz, who is brilliant, two Grand Slams by the age of 21. Uh, and there are others coming as well. Ben Shelton, the mm. American, is such a talent. So the marketplace is getting more crowded. Nick's getting older, and he will have been out of tennis for 18, 19 months. And you've got players like Alexander Zarev, uh, Andre Rublev, who are top, top, top players who can't win Grand Slams, haven't been able to win a Grand Slam. So you know, Nick's not alone in this sort of capacity, and, and, the, and the marketplace is crowded. I, it's going to be hard for him. Just another one of those players that's been close that hasn't broken through is Stefanos Tsitsipas, uh, finalist last year. Is he going to be at Melbourne Park? It was an interesting interview uh, as a promotional purpose for the United Cup, uh, which is coming up to start the season in Australia, uh, where he spoke about how bad the back was. He he withdrew from the WTA finals. Um, 
he's had some injury concerns in the latter half of the season. Look, I, I suspect you'll get. I suspect you get to Melbourne and to Australia because he loves playing down here. A finalist last year, his best tennis has always come in the first half of the year. Traditionally, he tends to tail off once you sort of leave the clay court. Uh, swing, he doesn't perform well on grass at Wimbledon. Uh, he doesn't play amazingly well on the hard courts in New York either. So, you know, I'm certain he's desperate to get here. But it was those those comments on the weekend in the piece, uh, the Courier Mail, uh, Callum Dick, we were alarming in terms of. He said how bad it was. So, you know, it's certainly no short thing that he was down here. So on Novak Djokovic, Walsh, given the year he's had, his record at Melbourne Park, realistically, and I know a lot can change in a month with lead-up form and potentially some injuries, but right now, how many realistic challenges to his title at Melbourne Park do you think there are? Look, I think there's probably two and maybe six all up, but probably two. The two, first and foremost, are clearly Alcaraz and Sinner, and that's because they've shown they can do it. Uh, Alcaraz had to play brilliantly to beat Novak at Wimbledon. Uh, you know, Djokovic, I think, will forever lament a couple of backhands, which have been, which has been his most reliable shot all the way through in the second set tiebreaker. Probably cost him being the first man since Rod Laver to win a, a Grand Slam. It was an astonishing season. Sinner was exceptional in the latter stages of the year. Now, he's got an Australian connection. He's uh, Darren Cale, the master coach, is mm. part of his coaching team. He really struck form effectively. You know, he made a semi-final at Wimbledon. He beats Alex Dimonor in the final of the Canadian Open to win the uh, you know big Masters event there. Uh, and then at the tail end, to, to knock off Novak in the in the round-robin stages of the ATP Tour finals. Now, admittedly, Novak got him pretty well in the final. Uh, he was able to survive and then and then pounced in the final against Alcaraz and and also Sinner. But then Sinner rebounds and comes from a few set po- uh, match points down uh, in the Davis Cup, which Novak desperately wants to win again. He won it in 2010 for Serbia and he was really desperate to try and lead his nation to the glory there. To beat him in those circumstances in the semi-final and then we saw he walloped uh, Alex Jimenor in the final. Sinner for mine is one that's coming. Different matter over five sets, though, as we've said so many times. Can can he get him over five sets? Well, it just makes it so hard with Novak. Uh, but, no, I think Novak, uh, Sinner, Alcaraz are the top three seeds. Uh, Novak probably daylight than those two. And then you've got Medvedev, who's beaten him in the US Open a couple of years ago in the final. And perhaps the wild card is uh, the young American, Ben Shelton, who you know was a stunner in Australia last year. He'd never been outside the US Uh didn't have a passport until he sort of travelled to Australia. He made the quarterfinals yep. last year, went missing for a while, and then came back with a vengeance in New York and played really well against Novak in a in a semi final. Uh, didn't didn't get a set off him, but it was certainly competitive. So he's someone that's coming and coming fast. A young American. We had the topic last week on the show. Walshy, uh, best Australian coach of the year. Now that Darren Cale was coming through pretty strongly, and you know Australians plying their uh, trade overseas was was part of the part of the process from from what you know about Darren and and what people in tennis tell you what what makes him such a great coach because what he's done with Sinner and what he's done with other players is is quite extraordinary well I think uh, firstly we shouldn't forget that he was also an, uh, you know an exceptionally good player you know he made grand he made a grand slam semi final he uh, he was a heart and soul type player who really got the best out of himself in terms of his own tennis uh, his own ability so he he has that knowledge and experience of knowing what it is to 
to try and make it as a tennis player and, and, to, and to deal and cope with the grind and to manage his schedules and to do all that. He's done it firsthand from his own playing experience. I do like that he's got, I suppose he's uh, got that Australian tradition of having come up and listen to some of the master coaches at the time, the Tony Roaches. Uh, you know, he was he played Davis Cup under Neil Fraser. His old man, we know, was a legendary coach of yep. Port Adelaide Football Club. So there's also that uh, that aspect in terms of coaching success and coaching history going through his uh, bloodlines. But I think there's clearly his ability to communicate, his ability to outline strategies for improvement. With Simona Harlep, so you know, he obviously had great success with Andre Agassi. Uh, you know, when Agassi was in his 30s, he was able to sort of help him, you know, reinvigorate the American. And, and, and you know, Andre, I think, won four Grand Slams. Hungary most certainly took him to number one. You know, with Leighton, it was in the infancy of Leighton's sort of time in the professional tour where he gets through and makes it to number one. Uh, so he works with young and old. But with Simona Harlep, where who is now outed with the with the doping suspension, but there was no certainly no allegate no no suggestions at any stage. Yeah. Kale, that was an issue, and she was a feisty competitor. She would get uh, you know very up and down type of player. Kale, one stage walked away from it, just said, well, "We're not doing this. <laughs> you know, you need to have respect for me." Openly, openly shut her down, and it just changed her career because she had someone who sort of really stood up to her and said, no, this is, you know, it, coaches can get sacked, they can get tossed aside, but Kale was prepared to say to her, I'm not going to accept your paycheck just to, to suck up this treatment. <laughs> you, you've got to be better than that if you want to work with me. And, you know, so you, you can stand up and stand up for what's right. And with Sinner, a mercurial talent, just exceptionally good uh, from a young age, and he's certainly steering me in the right direction. Uh, you know, I have no doubt that next year at some stage he will probably get to the world's number one ranking particularly given he hasn't got lots to, lots of points to defend in the first six months. And so that will be four number one ranked players who have uh, been sort of helped or coached by Kale, which is an exceptional feat in my opinion. Absolutely. He's been an outstanding Australian coach, no matter what sport we're talking in. So Alex Demonor has had a really good year. I think it's up to number 12 on the verge of the top 10. He'll, you would think he will win uh, the Nuka medal. Just on Isla Tomjanovic, Walshie, I mean, her career was Moving beautifully in the right direction, going well at slam. She's had the the injury setbacks. Where's she at right now, and what sort of would her expectations be for this summer? Look, hopefully she gets through uh, injury-free. As you said, 12 months ago, she was uh, coming off a major win over Serena Williams at the US Open. She'd made the quarterfinals at uh, both Wimbledon and the US Open was sort of you know really pushing. She would have been in the top 20 bar for a couple of uh, ranking points issues, and you know, the, closer to top 15. So she was playing great tennis, gets injured with that knee. Um, she played a US Open and she got through, which is amazing because she was clearly really rusty and, and went around there. But really encouragingly, she played a tournament in Florianapolis in late November and was able to get through that on clay. So she went a long way, was able to get through that, and she managed to win that title. It was a 125, which means it was a tier just below the WTA, but still a, still a very, very strong tournament in its own right and she was able to win that so that's encouraging because she could survive a week on clay now it's a different matter on hard court but that for mine is a step in the right direction let's hope that she can get herself back she's got an injury protected ranking which she can use uh, at majors you know i think her ranking's about 280 odd 290 odd at the moment because she hasn't played but you know at her best she's certainly a top 20 top 30 player yeah, let's hope so. She was going beautifully a couple of years ago. Walshi, um, thanks so much for your time. I know early mornings aren't your strength, so for you to get up at 8 o'clock uh, WA time for us is much appreciated.
<laughs> We've uh, spent a little too much time together, Jules, but no, my pleasure. <laughs> Good on you, Walshie. Courtney Walsh, you can read his work, whether it's on the cricket or the big summer of tennis, at foxsports.com.au. Gareth Hall, not too far away, as we look at a great night in Hong Kong for James McDonald last night and all the weekend's racing action, particularly over in Perth, as it's almost all over for the great jockey, Damien Oliver. This is mornings for Hyundai. The Hyundai 2023 SUV event is on now and also Host Plus. Welcome back to the show. Gareth Hall will join us uh, after the news uh, very shortly. A uh, big weekend of racing, particularly uh, in Hong Kong last night for James McDonald. Not normally a lot of AFL news going around in December, but it's been a big morning. If you're just joining us, uh, Daisy Pierce. Uh, set to be announced as the new coach of West Coast's AFLW side. So that is a, a big coup for the West Coast Eagles and a blow for Geelong. Uh, development coach signed a four-year deal, had her first year down there last year, but uh, she is off to coach West Coast uh, in the AFLW. And the big news out of Port Adelaide this morning, uh, well done for Kel Toomey, afl.com.au, breaking this story late last night. Connor Rosie's had a good day, eight-year contract, out till 2032. And the new captain of Port Adelaide from 2024 onwards. So, along with Aaron Norton, he's got the longest contract in the AFL to the end of 2032. He'll be the captain, so he wears the number one Guernsey next year, which is tradition. What a great couple of years he's had. Uh, two All-Australians, best and fairest. Uh, and uh, he's one of the better players in the competition. Now, Zach Butters will be the vice-captain uh, next year. Sam Pell, Pepper, Willem Drew and Dan Houston will make up the leadership group there at Port Adelaide. They have been busy in the off-season. Two-year extension for Butters, two years for Ollie Lord, four years for Willem Drew, and now an eight-year extension uh, for Connor Rosie. So a bit going on uh, in the AFL landscape. Just getting to some 40 Winks temper texts that we haven't been able to read out so far. Uh, a host of the subjects, uh, someone giving their... Uh, 11 for the first test. Well, it's pretty obvious which way it's going to go. It's going to be David Warner, Usman Khawaja, Marnus Labashane, Steve Smith, Travis Head, Mitch Marsh, Alex Carey, Pat Cummins, Nathan Lyon, Josh Hazelwood and Mitch Dark. I don't think it's going to be anything uh, different uh, to that one. What it looks like in 12 months' time, as Ricky Ponting said, you don't want all your players retiring at the same time. And the majority of those names read out there are on the wrong side of 30, and particularly that bowling group. Uh, is getting on, so it'll be interesting to see what those changes will be. On the golf, I get it with Liv, who could refuse such money, but it is obscene, isn't it? Do any of these golfers ask why there is so much money, says Mortimer in Cranbourne North. In terms of who replaces David Warner at the top of the order, um, we spoke about Robert Craddock to that er earlier. He would like to see Mitch Marsh go up to the top of the order. You know, David Warner's great ability to to score so quickly. I'd like to see that continue. And I think he made a pretty good point. You know, and as one of the uh, 40 Winks uh, temper texters said here, um, Australia, no, not that one. I'm going to find it. Uh, but basically uh, what Crash said was Basball did work against Australia in the Ashes. If it didn't rain, they win that series and win back the Ashes. So he wants to see Australia continue to be aggressive at the top of the order, and that's why he'd like to see Mitch Marsh. One hit says here, what about Glenn Maxwell at the top? Well, he's never open, so I don't think uh, he's going to be uh, opening the batting on David Warner. Publicly, he says he has to earn his last three tests, but privately, he said, it's my right. That's the problem, says Brett and Bacchus Marsh. Talking about that would open the door for Cameron Green to come back in the side. Uh, if Mitch Marsh goes up to open, uh, Cameron Green is overrated. He is only good for his catching. Uh, this is the one I was looking for. Congratulations, Cash Crash, for your honesty 
re Basball. While it was derided by Labuschagne in terms of the dictionary, the, real- the reality is exactly as you stated. One washout from being justified. Um, so, yeah, thank you for your contributions on the 40 Wings text. Just a couple saying they're not overly concerned that Nick Kyrgios is out of the Australian Open, but I still think it's a blow uh, for the tournament, uh, given that if he gets on a roll, um, it can be pretty exciting. But uh, he's out, and as Brett Phillips said this morning, he's concerned about his long-term future, as is Courtney Walsh, who we just had on the show. Melbourne's weather today, not that summary, 18 degrees, shower or two easing, top of 23, but it is uh, heating up tomorrow, thankfully, because it's been a pretty inconsistent start to summer. That's for City Power supplying power to homes in the CBD and inner suburbs. Gareth Hall, he's ready to go after a big weekend of racing. We'll speak with him on the other side of the news with Nathan Gardner. Sword point next, then Ishii Iguazu and Horizondore. Romantic Warriors lead is a length over Luxembourg. Ishii Iguazu, the old boy, he's going a great race. Straight Aaron, leader Romantic Warrior, he's clinging on. Luxembourg, driving, driving Romantic Warrior, I think. Uh, James, the results still not in the frame just yet, but uh, you're giving us nervous moments, you and this horse, in recent runs. If it's a Cox Plate, it's a Hong Kong Cup. How about that? I just want that number to be in the frame first. Should we wait for that? uh, Yeah, I'd I'd say so. Well done. Special horse, isn't he? I'm so proud. Proud of this horse. (laughs) So proud of him. He's the best horse. You've written some good ones, James, as well. He's the, one of the toughest horses I've ever ridden. Really? What is it that makes him so special? Well, he's Just so wait. easy to ride. He's got a heart as big as a lion. And uh, he's travelled from Australia to here. Yeah. This is his best win by a mile. That was James McDonald. Uh, what a performance uh, last night. A little uh, Andrew McDonald. That was just a McCafe coffee catch-up. Barista yeah. made ice cold drive through for your ice coffee favourites at McCafe. Gareth Hall joins us. Giddy up with Gareth, of course, our, our racing review. Uh, who is the next big thing? Thanks to Maccas, the new McCrispy. It's the next big thing. We'll ask you that later. But uh, how significant was that performance last night uh, from Jimmy McDonald? Yeah, hello to you, Jules. It was a, a wonderful performance by Romantic Wire. I think it was terrific for Australian racing, especially our greatest race, the Cox Plate, because Romantic Wire arrived here in Australia and he had to get the job done, and he did in a Cox Plate, defeating Mr. Brightside. But then it was great to see him go back home and win a Hong Kong Cup. And he defeated some horses that had been really competitive against the world's best, the European. He beat a whole country, Luxembourg. Yeah, Luxembourg, he did. <laughs> and Luxembourg's trained by the power of Coolmore and Aidan O'Brien and ridden by Ryan Moore. And he had form lines behind Augustus Rodin, who was one of the stars of the European season. And then horse like Prognosis that was third behind Equinox, who's the best horse in the world, and the Japan superstar in the Tenno show. So it was a better field in a Hong Kong Cup. And he did what he did there last night. And, and as J-Mac pointed out after that race in another interview, that he just doesn't let horses go past him. He's a he's a warrior. You'd love to go to war with him. And you can understand why J-Mac says he's the, he's the toughest horse that he's basically ever ridden. So, yeah, well done to J-Mac. Romantic Warriors, a superstar. And it was a terrific night for Hong Kong racing there last night because you had the four group ones and three of them were taken out by... Hong Kong base gallopers. Lucky Swainez won the sprint. Golden 60 is one of the best smilers. I think he is the best smiler in the world based at Hong Kong. 
Um, he was purchased at the Magic Million sale for, what, 130-odd thousand. He was bred in Queensland. And then he was pinhooked. So what they do there is that they buy a yearling and then they go to the ready-to-run sale. As a two-year-old, he was sold in New Zealand at their sale for 300000 And then, of course, he, he, he goes on to do what he's been able to do in Hong Kong. And he, along with Romantic Warrior, they're like, they've got winks like stardom mm. over there in Hong Kong. So it was a terrific night for Hong Kong racing there last night. You mentioned Equinox, uh, won yep. the Japan Cup and all over. Yeah, he's retired. Was that a surprise? Not really. He's worth that much money now. He's the hottest stallion in the world. The the Japanese bloodlines are the bloodlines that everybody wants now. And Equinox, to do what he did on the racetrack was quite remarkable. Like he was running times that we never thought would be possible and he was doing it on the bridle. Um, he's one of the greatest I've ever seen. He, he's in the category of black caviar and winks and, and like horses like Frankel. Have you, have you, you would have been to the races in Hong Kong, wouldn't you? No, I haven't. You haven't? been, no. Look- it's always been at a difficult time for me because of the Perth carnival and there's plenty of trots and greyhounds going on, but I'll definitely be going next year. Yeah, it looks like an amazing event. Uh, just before we get to the break, we'll touch on some other racing issues yep. on the other side. So it's a big few uh, 48 hours for James McDonald. Comes over yeah. and rides on Zaki. Yeah. Jumps on the plane and wins over in Hong Kong. I can't believe Zaki got beat in a in a mm. wait for age race in Perth over eighteen hundred meters. His pet distance with J Mac riding and I think J Mac gave him every possible. There was some say that he could have come off the fence a little bit into some better going, but he was brave, Zaki, but he was beaten by Dom Deschute. A great story. The Casey's first group one, father and son combination of Sean and Jake Casey, written by Jared Noski, who rode Black Caviar. He was famous for riding Black Caviar That's right. in a first race. And then he went back to WA, his home state. He struggled with his weight, so he retired a few years back. And then he came back to race riding about this time last year. And he produced one of the great Group 1 rides there to win his first Group 1 feature with Dom Deschutes and Northerly. So it was a terrific human interest story there with Dom Deschutes. But that's racing. There's no good things in racing when you think about it. The facts and figures suggested that Zaki would just turn up and win, but um, it's not that easy, unfortunately. Clearly, you tipped it, judging by your reactions. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Been tipping it for the last two weeks after I told everyone to get on at 15 to 1. Hey, oh. you can't get them all right. Uh, that is the voice of Gareth Hall. Giddy up with Gareth. It's our racing review. Big story broke on Friday. All hell broke loose up in Sydney. Some strong comments from people like Gay Waterhouse. That is the potential looming sale of Rose Hill. We'll speak to Gareth about that on the other side of the break. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Julian Destoop with you, joined by Gareth Hall. Giddy up with Gareth, of course. It's our racing review. We've spoken about Hong Kong last night, James McDonald and Romantic Warrior. Uh, Perth, there was a big race meeting on the weekend with the Northerly. But the big story on Friday, Gareth, which got some strong reaction. Yes. When you hear people from Gay, like Gay Waterhouse be that strong, the sale of Rose Hill, is it definitely happening? No, there's a lot, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. So... So the ATC came out and said on Friday or Thursday, it was Wednesday night, the story broke. Mm. And then they announced it basically on the, the Thursday morning. Yeah. And they, they said that they've had small talks with the government, but what they want to do is that they think they can get $5 billion by selling Rose Hill. It'd be like a mini city. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Build 25,000 houses there on that land there at Rose Hill. And they've got the big train station there that will be implemented. So for those that don't know, how far out of Sydney is Rose Hill? Rose Hill's about 35, 40 minutes, okay. depending on traffic. Sometimes it takes you an hour. On it. Yeah. Um, so it's in the western suburbs, near Parramatta, Rose Hill. Yeah. So, and as the ATC 
said, and their chairman, uh, Mr. Peter McGowan, in that statement there last week, and I read, this is what he had to say. He said that, um, what did he say? Here we go. No, um, (laughs) he did. It will cement Sydney racing as the best, most modern and financially secure jurisdiction anywhere in the world if they can pull off this deal. And this would future-proof Sydney racing for century, for a century to come. So if they do get this deal and they get what they want and it's worth $5 billion, it is a deal of legendary. It's one of the greatest deals of all time. So it, why is there so much anger from people like Gay Waterhouse? Because is I don't it, think they, they, they trust that they can actually get that deal. Right. Like, because Rose Hill's got so much history. There's only two city tracks basically yeah. in Sydney. And, and Rose Hill's one of there. them. Yeah. And it's a big punt they're, ta- they're taking because mm. it's the only, it's the biggest asset they've got. They could sell Canterbury. It's worth 500 million, but it's, there's a lot of difference between 5 billion and 500 million. They couldn't sell Randwick because it's crown land. They only mm. lease that. And Warwick Farm's the same. So there's, and we're not like, it's hard to really have a strong opinion on this because you, you're not privy, privy to all of the details and what they're trying to do with the, and do that deal with the government. But if they can get a world-class training complex, they can get some land to, to build another track. It won't be like a Rose Hill, but, but they can upgrade Canterbury and Flemington and build a bigger track and better track at Canterbury under lights and fix up Randwick with the stables and then have three or so billion dollars in the bank after that, which will sustain prize money for a century to come, then to me it's a no-brainer. So do you think if if the de- the deal was guaranteed and the deal was going through, someone like Gay Waterhouse would have a different opinion? A hundred percent. So I it's all about the doubts that's going to well, happen. Well, yeah, I don't know how you can argue that, that $5 billion isn't good for any sport. Mm. And I know you're selling off your major ass- asset, but what what you could do with that money is that you could set up racing, as the ATC pointed out. It would it would it would financially um, help Sydney racing for the next century. Well, that's what someone says here off the forty wings temper. Imagine what five billion dollars could do for racing. Five losing, billion losing Rose Hill could allow for elite facilities elsewhere. Yeah. And when we spoke about this on the program Thursday morning, it must have been not Friday. Um, someone asked about the future of Sa- Sandown. Yes. Yeah, so what Sandown, is the future of Sandown? Well, it's been it's been up in arms, or been it's been a great debate between racing participants and the MRC, and there's been divide amongst the MRC and their board regarding the sale of Sandown. Now, Melbourne has three race clubs, unlike Sydney. Sydney only have the one race club. Mm. So they can make these decisions a lot easier than Melbourne can. So the MRC don't own Caulfield, it's Crown Land, but they own Sandown's worth close to a billion, 800 million. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Mooney Valley that own their land and they're doing um, some developments now to help them make some money. And Flemington don't own their land. It's Crown Land, a little bit like Randwick, so they lease it. So the MRC believe a little bit like the um, ATC that if you sell Sandown, it can future-proof racing, especially for that race club going forward. They don't have to worry about the gambling dollar and what the revenue mm. streams are going to be um, in years to come. They can invest with that money. They can use the interest on that money to help fund the racing industry for that particular club. So that's how they see it. And then money can go back in towards a training complex or upgrading different tracks and racing Victoria can have some of that money as well. So, um, I think time will come where they're with the money that is on offer for these race clubs. If they own the land that they, they'll have to sell mm. in a way. You sort of have to, don't you? But you got to, that sort of money, but, but you need to do 
So it's okay selling it and you've got plans, but you need good administrators making the right decisions so you can get that money for selling Rose Hill, but it's what you do with that money. And whether you can get $5 billion straight away or like how, how that money comes to you, like is it long-term loans or do they have to do deals with developers then they get the money after they sell the land? So there's all of that grey area that we don't know, yep. um, which is out of mind. Yeah. Um, which is out of my um, pay grade. Pay grade, basically. Yeah, a lot, lot, lot of water to go under the bridge there. Now, uh, racing's your bread and butter, but you love all sports. You love yeah. cricket. I yeah. just seem to get well, well, your view on what happened in Geelong last night. It was, well, I, I felt for the, the curators there with the rain coming in. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know how they allowed the game to start, to start with. I, I agree. But Joel Selwood. Um, well, he's, he, relieved. He, he's relieved it was called Joel off. Joel Selwood made John Howard look like was a mackerel. <laughs> Like for a Bendigo boy that's played plenty of backyard cricket, what's he thinking? He made Joel? Amy Shark look like Glenn McGrath. <laughs> and I He's bowling to the mascot. Oh. How do you miss it? And one of the great athletes, my all-time favourite footballer, Selwood. Come on, Joel. So he's got this new stand after him. Yes. He's down there for the first time, basically in front of people. And, and who is since... he waving to? <laughs> he's bowled an absolute shocker. He missed three pitches. Oh, goodness. I hope he's not listening. But it wasn't his finest. He'd be listening. He loves this station. It's not, not his finest effort, was it? No, but. And you know what? What was he thinking? Like, what? Andrew McDonald, we heard from Macca just before, but <laughs> what was Joel doing as a coach there for the Australian cricket team? Oh, no wonder we only just retained the ashes thanks to some weather. Goodness oh. me. Come on, Joel. Come on, Joel. Now, before we go, have you got a next big thing for us from Maccas, the new McCrispy? Definitely not Joel Sowers. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who should we be keeping an eye on? Just um, a little black booker. It's a tough one at this time of the year. i tell you what, the next big thing, I might go the opposite. Oh, here we go. Damien Oliver. It'll be the next big thing for WA Racing to have Damien Oliver be centre stage in his farewell race meeting. So it's a Damien Oliver gold rush. Brilliant. Worth $1.5 million. If you're listening in Perth or you're a racing fan, get on that plane Mm. or go to the the Ascot race course on Saturday to farewell not only. And it'll be Perth, like Ascot won't see anything like it because I think that not only racing fans will go there, but sporting fans outside the racing game because he has transcended the sport. And this is a good debate for you tomorrow. You name the top five athletes from Hello. WA. He's producing the show now. Yeah, you name the top five athletes that have hailed from WA. Darren Buick. Yeah, well, he has to be up in, into consideration. What, was Ben Allen in there, do you reckon? Yeah, Ben Allen. <laughs> Matthew, now, Matthew Pavlich is from South Australia, so he doesn't count. <laughs> Nat Fife would I have to be in that. the conversation. Top five WA athletes. Well, Damien Oliver would have to be in there, wouldn't he? If he's not in the top five, people aren't serious. Yeah. That's a good one. I'm, I'm going to write that down in my book for a Name potential topic tomorrow. Gilchrist is not from WA. Dennis Lilly. Dennis Lilly have to Dennis be in Lilly the has to be in there. Um, the yeah. great Ruckman, Polly. Polly, 100. Yeah. percent Yeah, it'd be hard to go past Polly. So there would be. No, a that's few... a good list. There's a good list of great cricketers and great yeah. Aussie rules players. There was an athlete mentioned. that smashed the clock over 1600 meters. What about Willie Pike? Um, no, no. He wouldn't be he wouldn't be in the same no, breath quite, as Ollie he's, just he's, yet. He's, he's a great writer, W. Pike, but one of the greatest sledges of all time. It came from so Pikey was the king, he was writing plenty of winners, and Oliver just came to town. Anyway, someone yelled out from uh, outside of the, the fence saying, Ollie, Pikey's the new king. He's uh, he's got you covered. And Ollie turned to him and said, 
He's still 145 group ones behind me. You can't. There's no, there's no comeback. To <laughs> no, that. you can't argue with there's that. No comeback. Babe. Thank yeah. you, Gareth. Right, Thanks for one. your time. Thanks for your uh, topic suggestion tomorrow. Any more? Just send me some texts. Uh, giddy up with Gareth. Racing review. Uh, who is the next big thing? Thanks to Maccas. The new McCrispy is the next big thing. Catch every NFL game this season as well with Game Pass. Only on DAZN. Visit nfldazone.com forward slash NFL. We'll be back to wrap up after the break. Sammy Hargraves will take you through 12 to 3 before the penultimate run home with Andy and Gazy the Sabo. Mornings on SEN. Welcome back to the show. Gareth Hall can't tip a winner, but he can give you a bloody good talkback topic. We're going to do that tomorrow. Top five sports people out of WA, given it's all over for Damien Oliver this weekend. Uh, Sam Hargraves, join me. Sam, with the uh, celebrity bowling the first ball at the uh, Big Bash, I like it. Mm. Some people take the, the mickey out. Who should do it tonight for the Canes? <laughs> oh. uh, well... A little bit thin on the ground down uh, down there, unless you're flying That'll in. That'll get back. Uh, hey, you know, I've expressed my love for the great state of Tasmania many, many times. We can't have Tim Payne because and he's no, a cricketer. They're, they're not cricketers. They're entertainers or other uh, sports Jackie people. Lambie's name was floated, but we know she doesn't like stadiums, so I don't <laughs> think she'd want to be in there. What about Scotty Roth? Scotty, that's a great one. Get Scotty Roth in there. He would be familiar with the situation, given that they do it at Major League Baseball yeah. all the time. I love the format, by the way. He couldn't be worse than Joel Selwood. <laughs> well, let, let, by the way, let's not be bagging Amy Shark and Joel Selwood. No, she bowled well. Because Amy Shark did just as well as Steve Harmison on that pitch. Well, I did, I did see a few people point that out. <laughs> it was a far so better really, ball than Harmison. <laughs> a professional cricketer couldn't get the job done first ball. And let's not uh, one of Australia's uh, brightest musicians. And, and Joel, he's got shoulder issues since he was... Oh. Knee high to a grasshopper. Oh, so give him a give oh, him a break. Well, he's draft year eighteen years ago. It put him down to seven in the order. They were that worried about he his shoulders. Ten over spell. He bowled one ball. <laughs> he slipped to number seven <laughs> because what? of the shoulders. Oh, give me a spell. So anyway, wasn't he? Shoulders? Back off him. What's on the show today? What, what's floating your boat? Uh, we'll do Heroes and Villains on a Monday, heaps of sport, and there's a fair few good Heroes and Villains to get your teeth uh, into. Uh, Barat's going to join us, Barat Sunderason. You and Porter, who commentates golf all around the world, former Aussie pro, the John Rahm signature for Live Golf is as seismic as anything that's happened in Hypocrite. golf. Hypocrite. I wouldn't necessarily say that. Hypocrite. Offer you can't refuse. Hypocrite. No, not really. Don't come out and say no. the tournaments mean nothing and I don't need any more money. And then sign. I don't mind if you sign. Because that was do, the position do, then. Do the kept You can change your mind. Can you not change your mind? Of course mind you can. Life? Because obviously they've upped equity. And the landscape was different then. That was before he knew that the merge or I the understand that. was going to take place. That doesn't so change the, the landscape. Yes, I'm not sure about that. Uh, Eliza either. Riley, the story about Daisy Pierce. Yes, She's the one that story. broke that. So we're going to have a chat to her. And Mitch Creek will be with us as well. Oh, he was good yesterday. Wasn't he? Unbelievable. Get on the line, one 736 736 Sammy is ready to take your calls. Speak to you at nine tomorrow.